Welcome to episode 524 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 524 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom, Bevan James. Oh, how you going, mate? Good. I'm back in the studios. I'm hungry, Bevan. You're hungry? I'm hungry. Can we get you something to eat? No, I'm okay. I'm just, it's the post-epic camp blues. I warned the guys, you've got to control things after the camp, and I'm hungry. And I've already oh, had something to because eat. you've been eating like a, like a bloody pig for the last three weeks, haven't you? Yeah. And you've been having lots of carbs, haven't you? I have been having you're, lots of carbs. Having lots of carbs, and now you're having your carb withdrawal. You're having calorie withdrawal. Pano chocolates. You come back good. from camp, you have this trip away, and you come back to the family, and you're stressed and hungry. Yes. Poor family. I feel for you. Belinda, I feel for you, mate. Those kids. She will be listening. Why's that? Oh, yeah, she listens every week. <laughs> she gives me an email, gives me a review each week. Yeah. Here's her, she normally gives us about three out of ten. Yeah. You know, she's pretty sharp. I'm Talk is proudly brought to you by... Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. Our patrons. Just some rock stars. Let's name some, John. Christine, the grinder McKinley. She got caught all the way through camp. She was over in, in oh, France as well. And like, because she was one of the girls and she was towards the tail end, it was like, come on, grind it out, grind it out, grinder. <laughs> I'm sure she was loving that. We yeah. got Chris, um, the combustor apple. You got to do the next one because it's one of yours. Okay, Brett. Chen. Ian, powerhouse Robertson. And then we've got um, Douglas Pettin-Jones, Speed Merchant. Okay, guys. And, this and also Oxygen Addict. We didn't get to Oxygen Addict. Oh, yep. TeamOxygenAddict.com. Yep, 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 team, yep, there you go. TeamOxygenAddict.com if you're looking for some coaching. Okay, so this week we've got some news. We've got oh, statistic. Yep, thank you. Joe, Joe wants to play a game at the end of the show. Right. You and I play a game. I showed Joe a new game last night, eh, babe? And she loved it. Okay, So you're great. not going to play this game at the end of the show. Uh, statistic. We've got uh, my Epic Camp numbers, oh. just by hours and stuff like that. Nice. Uh, Rote's coming up. So we're going to actually have a special segment on Rote because it's a big weekend and some big news of Rote just come out over the last 24 hours. Uh, Epic Camp interviews. So we've got a few more Epic Camp interviews coming up. And then we're actually doing a pretty big preview with Rob Wilby from Oxygen Oxygen Attic uh, on Ironman UK, which is coming up this Which is great well. because um, we hear a bit more about, you know, that, that course so it's, it's great for the people that are racing this year but also if you're going I want a, you know, a different challenge from next year then you find out a bit more about the course and it sounds wicked well and that was one of the things that comes through from the interview is that it's a bit old school eh? oh, I love it it kind of yeah. when he was talking about it it just made me think of the days when I was doing Ironman New Zealand mm. you know, it sounds a little bit harder than Ironman New Zealand but just you know you're kind of typical old school yep. honest Ironman race yep. which we love okay guys news first piece of news the most important piece of news is, is about us yes the I Am Talk gear is uh, is ticket. The time is ticking away. In terms Have you bought of, anything? Because uh, I'm going to buy something. I know we're going to get stuff. Yeah, I'm going to get the full full muzzle. So Are you going all in? I'm getting the the bike jersey. I'm getting the arm warmers, the leg warmers, bike shorts, and you and I are both going to get a sweatshirt as well. I'm thinking maybe a laptop case as well. Laptop case. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, because the laptop case is cool, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And my laptop case. Look at your cruddy one. <laughs> <laughs> so we've both got cruddy laptop cases. I've had mine for about seven years. Yeah. 
So okay. I think it may be time for a yeah. cupcake. Yeah. So guys, but there's, 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 there's caps, there's socks, there's pretty much everything you might want. And then also, I think on last week's show, I mentioned a couple of people had questions around, you know, with, with the um, champion systems, you've got sort of three models of gear, like in the tri-suit, you've got your sort of entry level, your mid-level, and your sort of elite, elite level, and they're priced accordingly. And someone asked a question around that, can we have the mid-range tri-suit or something like that? And the, the guys went on there and answered that, and they've now got that up there as well. Oh, so, um, yeah, go check it out. It's cool designs and pretty it's much... really cool guys like like far out when like, like john's been working on this on the side and he's been flicking emails going what do you think about this and i'm oh and we were tweaking away weren't we mm. and um and then i didn't realize it was going to be this much product first of all mm. so i just thought we were doing a jersey and then uh but geez it looks pretty cool t-shirts as well yeah so, so team you can basically wear i have taught gear all life 24 7 which again i am talk suit like a business suit you know <laughs> so when yeah. you turn up to work yeah get the little cufflinks you know yeah. nice so there you go guys so i'll put there is a link on www.iamtalk.me and it's really easy you're just going to go on there click on there and you can see all the product as we're saying it's really cool stuff and we got an email a couple of weeks ago i can't remember who it was from Mm. from someone racing over in the UK and saying how everyone was talking about the Iron Talk top. So you kind of get lots of love from the community as well. But it is cut-off time. Uh, I think we maybe put down the 20th or something like that. So make sure you get off your butts, get it ordered, and then uh, Champion Systems go away and make it for us, and then it'll be delivered sort of uh, late August. Times, okay, guys. So that's uh, the new gear. So, John Bo, there's lots of news. We've got a big new segment this week, and we're going to start off with the China Bribe is the name <laughs> of the title. <laughs> so... As we as we know, uh, Wanda Sports has, has taken over Ironman, and uh, and with that, there's a couple more races in China, which is great. There's a couple of seventy point threes in Hefei and Examen. Exam- I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Do we do the apple? <coughs> I'll do the apple here. We do go. the apple, <coughs> and these are seventy point threes. And one of the things that that Xiamen, Xiamen, that, that okay. probably would be close, wouldn't it? Quite possibly. Xiamen. Yeah, it's X I A M E N. Shaman. And what we've seen as a bit of a theme across Ironman events around the world is 70.3s basically everywhere, I think, almost everywhere, has have lost their Kona slots. So there used to be... Event, even uh, in Kona, even that was yeah, lost there, 70.3 in Kona, there used to be slots there. Um, a bunch of other races you can get slots as well. Do the world champions for 70.3 have slots for age groupers? I don't think so. Uh, but certainly there was, certainly used to be at some other 70.3s uh, like... They had some in Auckland one year, um, Kona slots there. But with the growing number of Ironman races, uh, they've had to reduce that. And also at Ironman events around the world, as you guys are all aware, you know the numbers are starting to dwindle. So Ironman UK this weekend, um, maybe the, maybe there's 30 slots, 40 slots. It's becoming really difficult and really um, a bit of a bit of a lottery out there. With with the World Championship 70.3s, does the pro who wins that get a free slot to Kona? I think so. But I think they still need to validate. Okay. Um, in fact, I'm almost positive because I remember a few years ago, if you won that, or if you won the, remember the High V 51 50 yeah. race. Yeah, they gave if you a slot. If you won that, they? you got a slot. But you still did have to validate. So if Gomez won that, you'd still have to go and do an Ironman race. Okay. So the gossip here is that these two races in China will have a total of 100 slots for the 2017 Ironman World Championships in Kailua and Kona, making them the only 70.3 triathlons in the world to provide. <clears throat> a standout qualification slots for for Kona. So uh, 50 will be go- going at the Hyphy race and 40 will be at the XM race and then 10 will be awarded to top performing athletes who compete in both races. 
Oh, really? So that's not prose? Oh, really? No, they actually tend to do both. So oh, the, I didn't read that bit. Oh, that's fascinating. So there's, there's two ways of looking at this. The, optimi- <laughs> the cynic. <laughs> the optimist in me really looks at this and going, it's, I think, you know, and I actually do a good job of this. Trying to develop the sport worldwide, I think, is really important. And yep. so, yes, you want to have all the fastest people in Kona, but it's a little bit like the Olympics. You know, the Olympic fields in whatever sports is not necessarily the best in the world. So, you know, <clears throat> I'm more than happy for them to say, you know, different countries in the world, you know, you guys are less developed. You're never going to qualify anywhere, unlikely. Maybe you guys can have a few few To build the sport. Build so it's, the it's sport. using this as a carrot yeah. to develop the sport. So you might say, and you go to India or something and say, maybe give India, you know, it's a great opportunity there. Maybe say, right, your country can have five slots. I haven't come up with any bloody... Yeah, yeah but, um, way but of doing it, but I would say kind of evening out the the race experience in Kona, yeah, which gets a broad kind of diverse mix of athletes mm. to the cost of maybe having the best field there, but you'd still get the pointy end because exactly. So I think it'd be great to do that, and that's the optimist me, and that's what I want to believe. But it's what you want it, to believe, but it's not what I believe. The pessimist in me says this is just a straight up bribe to try to get people over there racing. Seen that glass um, full, John? Yeah. So it's um. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting. I was thinking about it. So I was thinking, okay, 100 slots. So you kind of the It's well, a lot. It is a lot, isn't it? But it is two races, but still, you know, it's like more Ironman than a Z- bloody Ironman race. Yeah, yeah, it really is, isn't it? Like, you know, as you say, UK's only 30. So you kind, you kind of go, well, you know, the, the, the slot is the golden ticket, isn't it? And so I'm kind of curious to see when I was thinking about it is how many people would it draw to the race for these slots? And you're probably thinking for each slot, probably maybe 10 people. You know, who realistically think they can yeah. get a slot. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you know, like mm. if you're looking at Ironman New Zealand in our age group, let's say there's maybe eight slots. Mm. Now there's probably eighty to hundred people in our age group. No, probably not eighty, maybe fifty people who think they could get a slot. Yep. You know, you know, mm. realistically. Mm. So really by bringing fifty slots to a race, you're probably guaranteeing at least 500 people turning up, aren't you? And that's the difference between making these races uh, successful or not successful because they're not going to be sell-out fields. Mm. So it might be going from, saying, having 400 people to maybe 1,000 people, yeah. and that's a big difference. So when you're putting on a race, you know, you want to be getting as many out-of-towners as you possibly can. And uh, and the, by doing this, you know, tri- triathlon in the expat community in Asia is is reasonably big. Yes, and so, especially like the Hong Kong, Singapore yeah. kind of region. So if, if I was in, you know, even for a Kiwi, this is tempting to, to go up there. It's not, it's just still a bit of a trek, but I did look into it because I think they announced one of these races was going to have slots a while ago, not both of them. And I actually did look at it and go, hmm, I don't really want to go to Kona, but if I did, uh, I think it was like 1500 bucks return. It's like, but then that's the pretty is, doable. Is this developing the sport in China? Or is it just bringing people who are doing the sport across? Well, I just think it's bringing people across. But uh, it may have some run on effects, but it's. Well, well, I suppose it, it, it helps it, if it's a successful race the first year. If they said. We're going to give slots to Chinese Chinese residents. I'd be saying this is great. You know, that's what they did at the Kona seventy point three. Yeah. They had Kona Big Island spots, and I think that's a good idea. If they said, okay, um, we're going to have uh, ten slots for for Chinese nationals or something like that, I'd say no problem. But when you got a hundred that are going to go to expats and stuff like that, so mm, is that really the point? It's a bit disappointing. Well, it's, it's the the problem is Kona's limited. Because mm. it's actually cool, you know, like if in some ways, if you're doing the glass half full kind of way of looking at it, you're going, well, you know, like China's a pretty big market. Um, it's it's kind of trying to introduce a new sport into China. Mm. So, you know, and mm. like things like this are initiatives that are probably a good thing. The problem is it comes at cost to Ironman racing. Mm. And that's where it really hurts. Because then you go to something like Ironman UK, which is a traditional Ironman race, mm. where you're going to get people who have loved the sport for a long time 
and they're kind of being in a disadvantage because of this kind of situation. You're not looking after your tried and true customers so no, well. No. So. So it's, but I suppose it's that, how do you find that mix of looking after mm. tried and true? Great opportunity though if you want to try to qualify for Kona. Especially Man, I'd, be, Asia. I'd be getting on it. Getting on but it. then it'll be pretty competitive, won't it? Pretty competitive, but there'll be a fair decent slots. If there's 50 races at one, 50 slots at Where one race. races, John? Do uh, we know? Seven, it's in 17, so. Yeah. Like, yeah, don't know. Uh, just, it's an easy way to get to Kona too, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, because technically. You play by a, the rules. As an age group, but you could get to Kona without doing an Ironman. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, that's pretty kind of poor form, mm. isn't it? Mm. You know? You play by the rules. I tried to qualify at um, Auckland 70.3, and I certainly would have taken the slot. So, uh, yeah, play by the rules. But you, just at the, the time you said, I hate the rules, but I'll play by the oh, rules. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, guys, other news. We had uh, Austria happen over last week, and uh, I have to say, Rini smashed out the, the run, third fastest Ironman run of all time. So this was the the week before last, but I wasn't really sure if you went out. I think you just sort of no, made Frankfurt kind of last week. Yeah. But I just, yeah, impressive. Rennie hasn't done heaps. I mean, she obviously, as soon as you have a bad Kona, and she did last time because of the bike crash, you think people are all washed up and you think she's, she's out the back door. But the thing about Rennie as an athlete is she's never the greatest athlete during the year. Yeah. yeah even when she's won her Konas, you're mm. kind of always during the year. She, she's had some good years, but she's mm-hmm. definitely had years where, you know what, not, not balls. Mm. but then on Kona, she's kind of really delivered. Absolutely. Last year, Kona was a bit of a kind of a shitball for her, mm. but, you know... This yeah, race here. Impressive. 59 swim, 4.47 on the bike and 2.49 on the run for a 8.41. Very impressive. Well, she also had a, a strong bike as well. Like she mm. smashed the bike which, and she wasn't mm. that far out of the swim as well. So, no. And she you know, she was right up there with the, the guys, you know, the top three guys out ran, ran her. But uh, outside of that, she beat most of the rest of them. So very impressive. So I think she's tracking pretty well for Kona. And when you take out, uh, you know, this year, you take out Joycey, you take out um, Caroline Stephan. Obviously, well, you assume you'll still have Daniela Reef there. We'll talk about that in a moment. But she's still got to validate somewhere, I think. Um, Does, really? So I'm pretty sure. I may be wrong there. Maybe I should have done my research before I opened my mouth. But I'm, I'm thinking, pretty sure I'm she just thinking qualified. based on the fact she's going to be doing rote this weekend, I'm thinking she must have validated somewhere. Maybe we should look into that. And okay. we'll, uh, well, how would you find out? Google it. I'll go, Google go, it. Go, go, to, go to tryrating.com. Okay. Well, okay. Because he's the expert there. So uh, so that was pretty Im- that's pretty impressive by Rennie. And then the other thing that impressed me over the weekend is, um, is Crowey. So he did a 70.3 at Vine Man, and that dude's still got the bloody wheels. You know, he finished in third place behind uh, Andy Potts and Tim Reid, two of the best 70.3 athletes in the world. Potts has run, did you see that? <laughs> yeah, he beat Sam Appleton, beat Terenzo Bozzoni, beat Ben Hoffman. And the reason I was impressed with this is because I was listening to, um, when I was packing my bike in France, I thought I'd put something on the bloody computer while I'm doing this, and I actually listened to the Pete Jacobs interview, and I heard him talking about racing uh, Craig Alexander and being, you know, really going head to head with him somewhere. Maybe it was the Huskerton, Huskerton uh, long course race, and I thought, yeah, but Craig's a bit washed up. Um, he's, he's <laughs> and then he pumps out these results like this, and man, he is still, you know, so what, he must be 42, 43 now. He's still cranking it. So uh, Crowey is still on fire. So good on him. 
and while Bevan sort of uh, carries on looking for stuff, bit of Frankfurt follow-up. I'm um, again not sure how much detail you went into last week with Bevan, but we had uh, Lucy Francis telling us that not just uh, Daniela Reef got plucked out of the swim. Diana Reisler was uh, pulled out of the race as well, and we would have talked about that last week. It was that uh, cool water and also cool air can air temperatures and also Alex Hall pumped us in an email saying long time listener of the podcast and since you guys always discuss Ironman live coverage and how crap it is be aware of the excellent coverage in Germany for on TV for Ironman Frankfurt uh, he's he's basically wall to wall all day coverage highlights during the day as well and uh, so if you're in, a Germ- in Germany and you like Ironman there's a great opportunity for you guys to watch it all day long she's got well, Crowe's 43 Mm-hmm. I'd love to know how much he's training there. Yeah, you know what I mean because you know he's obviously still you know to do that level mm-hmm. is, is still pretty um, pretty full on. But um, okay, so where does it? Um, so no, I'm struggling to find the results. She has last year's results in Ironman. Why she did one Kona, she won Frankfurt. But other than that, on her on her website, those are the only Iron Distance races she did in 2015. I don't recall her validating. So uh, so I think she would go and do. Right, as you're going to hear about in a moment, and then she'll go and uh, tick the box somewhere else. I'm just thinking, yeah, well, it's great remember the first year she did, first year she did Kona. You know, she did like three Ironmans in flipping two months or was something. It a subtle kind Kona. of way of doing things, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, going to be interesting to see. John's ITU update: The Olympics are coming, Bevan. Tell you what, John, I'm pretty excited. 18 to 20th of August. They is look like they're the going to be a total disaster, but in some ways, it's going to be the entertaining <laughs> factor. <laughs> Getting more golfers pulled out this morning. The golf was just a joke, isn't it? Yeah, they Jordan are a joke. Speed That's pulled out. Eh? Uh, Although it's just the guys. The girls are still turning up. Yeah, I presume so. Yeah. 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 Uh, so Come the, on, guys. the triathlon, because uh, I knew Bevan had asked me this. When is it? It's 18th to 20th of August. And I'm, my birthday, John's on the 19th. There you go. You so. Sit down and watch that. So last weekend, or this weekend, we've got uh, Hamburg, which is the, probably the, the final big hit out for a lot of these races. And the weekend before last, we had Stockholm, and we saw Flora Duffy take this race out on the girls' side of things. And she could really throw bit of a fly in the ointment in this race so she's been if you don't watch ITU she is the strongest cyclist in the sport and this in this race she managed to break away on the bike after a really strong swim and rode solo and then she's a good enough runner she's not the fastest runner in the in the, in the field but she only you know she and Andrea Hewitt only took five seconds out of her on the run and she had the second fastest runs for the day and Flora Duffy had basically been off the front time trialing it the whole time while Andrea and the rest of the girls had been uh, sitting in the packs so Flora Duffy's got a great run on her. It's not going to outrun Gwen Jorgensen, but the, the, the only way these girls are going to beat Gwen Jorgensen is if one or two of them can get away on the bike and uh, and put two to three minutes on Gwen Jorgensen in the race. So that's going to require them to ride really strong and for the chase pack to... Is that realistic? Not, is that possible? It is possible at World Championship races where maybe there's not so much on the line, but when you know if you've got someone like an Andrea Hewitt or a couple of others in the second group... They're not going to sit up and no. go, oh, today we're just going to race for third, which in the back of their minds they might kind of do in other races, yeah. not, not put it all but down. The Olympics is, but the Olympics is a different game, is different. isn't it? You, you yeah. know, if, if you see gold, silver and bronze up the road, you know, Gwen Jorgensen doesn't really need to chase that hard because she knows as long as they don't get you know, two and a half minutes, she can still win. But the rest of those girls, they'll be chasing like crazy. So um, it doesn't necessarily mean that they'll come together, but... I don't the think gap the gap will won't, won't, won't explode, but it does add a really interesting dynamic to it. So Flora Duffy was on fire there. And on the guys' side of things, you know, for a long time we've been uh, talking 
down Alistair Brownlee as to whether or not he's still got the the goods, and he certainly has because he beat his brother, and it looked. I didn't watch the whole S- coverage. Second time, second time, and okay. within a couple of weeks. So, so he's, t- he's timed it right well within, isn't he? he? Has. So he because he's been really out of the news, isn't he? Yeah. So it really looks like there's about a four or five horse race there, but Brownlee looks like if it comes down to the hard man's race where they really pump the bike and they look like they pump the bike pretty hard there, that he's got uh, he's got the goods. But we haven't really seen Brownlee versus Mola versus uh, Gomez all coming off the bike together uh, and and going head to head. So, but we want Brownlee there. That's the thing. This is good because we want we the Olympics is the pinnacle of our sport. We want the, the the top guys to be in the A game on the A day, so that we're going to see a great race. We want to see them challenge. So, yeah. Um, and if Brownlee wasn't there, or if, if you know he's a bit crap <clears throat> because he was injured or something like that, mm. you know what? You still win the Olympic gold. It's like Murray, you know, or Andy Murray winning tennis the other day. Well, he wasn't. Dokovic went out early, but still mm. Murray won the bloody thing. Exactly. But at the same time, you kind of go, oh, it would have been great to see him beat Dokovic in the final. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so you know, f- so whoever gets it can really feel like a true champion. It's um, it should be a good race. I'm really looking forward to it. It's it's. I think going into the the last Olympics, it was just lay down Mazir Brownlee was just going to smoke everybody, and he did. And, and he did. God, uh, that was an amazing performance. Yeah, but this time round, yes, he's looking really good. Um, but if it comes down to just a running race with him and Mola, it might be a little bit different. And and Gomez, you know, he has been a bit quiet this year. So yeah, it's going to be good. Got an email really through good. from Mark the Missile Scudamore. He's got John. Listen to episode five two two, and you gushed in the news segments about the Brownlee's performance in the WTS triathlon in Leeds. But you completely ignored Gwen Jorgensen's incredible comeback in the women's race. Did I? Yes, Gwen made up a 145 deficit from Flora Duffy on the bike on only a 7.5k run and ended by winning by more than a minute after a sterling performance. Is one of the most sterling performances I've ever seen. And you didn't even mention it. It's a bit tongue-in-cheek, John, but sharpen up. <laughs> he said, it's definitely worth a look. Go to triathlon.com. Oh no, I've, I've watched TV. it and uh, it was very impressive. So apologies to Gwen Jorgensen if I didn't mention you that because when I watched it, holy man, man really? she just drilled it and she just yeah, Flora Duffy was miles in front and uh, she just she just crushed them. It must be nice to have the weapon, you know. It's a kind of like so as a group fitness instructor, my 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 strength's always been the peak of the class that last bit, mm. you know, and. You, it's such a good thing to have as a group fitness instructor because it's the lasting impression is that last mm. moment and you kind of think it must be awesome to be an athlete who you know knows your strength is the last moment of the race you know to have the ability to trust that you know what they got two minutes on me bam yeah. I smash them oh absolutely that's pretty cool isn't no, it so she's yeah she's sitting pretty pretty she's sitting pretty for uh, for Rio in comparison to so if we say um, Gwen if we say her in comparison to the top male runners, as in dominance-wise, who would you oh, compare she's with? Abs- oh, she's just streets ahead. I mean, Brownlee, yeah, he's a lot better than those guys, but he's not going to make two and a half minutes up on on uh, on the, the, the rest of the podium. He's going to put two and a half minutes into the mid-packers, no problem. But in terms of, you know, if he comes off two and a half minutes behind his brother or behind uh, Gomez or something, he ain't going to make that up. Mm. Gwen Jorgensen, I mean, and the girls' standard of running has really improved over the last sort of five to ten years. Those other girls are running really well, but she's just a, you know, she's a bit of a Chrissy. She's just a freak. And used to be very scathing of her biking because it was pretty poor 
but she's really improved that now. And so she doesn't really have a weak leg. She's a little bit weaker on the bike, but she's consistently there after the swim now. Um, a little bit vulnerable on the bike, but not too bad. Uh, and this just can come from anywhere on the run. So a, bit like, a bit like Rennie, you can never count her out. Gee, she's light. She's 178 low high. So mm. she's not far off me, really. Three centimetres lower than me, and she's 57 kg. Mm. Wow, she's 30. So what, another Olympics? Would have thought so. Yeah, pity she, we can't get her to come over. Mm. Come over to the dark side. <laughs> or to the Jedi side. Yeah. Um, okay, Jumbo sponsor. Xendurance.com fueled us through Epic Camp. I think pretty much everybody was on it on the camp and heard about it on the show. And I remember good old Ian Wood saying to me, um, whilst his chest was giving him some grief he said you know he's been on the extreme endurance going into the camp and uh really just found that his legs didn't have that that doms effect yes you know you get tired um and also when you take extreme endurance you know after a race uh, or before a race then after the race of course your legs are still tired your muscles are still tired but one of the big things that does for me and it seems everybody else is that uh you just don't get those DOMs, those really sore muscles, tired muscles, but not sore muscles. So it certainly helped us through the camp. Uh, I know for me, you know, I got stronger and stronger as the camp went on rather than weaker and weaker. And despite doing racing and what have you, still didn't really get those big DOMs. So if you want to make sure that, if, you know, if you've got any lead up races and especially if you're someone that gets really, really bad DOMs after races, those quads go absolutely ballistically sore, um, get on it. Usually uh, in the past I've had it only takes a couple of days to sort of kick in and it can really enhance your recovery from races. So check it all out. X and Endurance.com and remember the promo code IMTalk10 and get yourself a 10% discount. Check, check, check it out, guys. It's uh, People seem to love it. Okay, John. Um, what was I going to say? We're going to go to discussion of the weekend. Discussion of the weekend was a pretty good one. We got an email. Who was the email from, John? Have you got there in front of you? Uh, it was from Duncan Penfold. He went up to Ironman Ken's a while ago, and one of the things that the race organisers did there was instead of having the pre-race um, massive carbo-loading dinner, they basically gave you a, um, a voucher to go off to a local restaurant and uh, and go and support the local community a little bit more. Mm. And it seems that some people... It's divided, it, isn't it? It's happened elsewhere in, in the Ironman races around the world. And so we had a discussion of the week whether you think this is a good idea or whether it's a terrible idea. So Adam Fox was first. He said, I think it's a great idea. Would much rather have a dinner at a nice restaurant with my family than eating disappointing food at the Cabo party. Good for local businesses too, but I do feel that first-timers who may want to get something out of the welcoming dinner. Peter Mills, who was on, I presume that's the Peter Mills who was on Epic Camp last week. Great idea, gives the options to queue, uh, option of queuing and the rubber pass that they give you at the event. Pumps money into the local uh, community. You could add this to your non-bashing of WWTC segment, so he's all positive about it. Okay, Tony Hodges, isn't Stupid idea. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid. Uh, they would be better off stop calling it a carbo party and focus on it as a welcome dinner and put on decent food. It's really a core part of the experience when done properly. Yes, a voucher might support local businesses, but the athletes and supporters are already spending big bucks with the local businesses during race week, which is a pretty good point. I don't buy that as the reason. Pike Redden, the carbo loading dinner was always part of the experience for me, even though most of the time the food was mediocre at best. It wasn't worth the $25 for guests, but I still ponied up and bought my wife and daughter tickets. WTC 
bring back the bland food and camaraderie. Good old 20. Noah Richard Swan's got, uh, it's a great idea if it avoids the usual 20-minute Mike Riley glorification ego session, which carbo-loading sessions are. The dinner at the Kona is the most drawn-out ever. Get rid of Riley. <laughs> He's pretty harsh here. <laughs> and cut the length of the dinner. Then we'll be a lot happier, or they'll be a lot better. Um, but better yet, make the events cheaper, and then there's no need for the meal vouchers. Yeah. Uh, Simon Lunn, paying Iron Man $50 for, uh, for a $25 food voucher. I'm, impre- I'm impressed. I heard that next year's Iron Man event, you can register for $880, but instead you get an entry voucher to compete in your home club event. Shame to erode the grandeur of an Iron Man event. Um, David Wills, Wiles, I'm going to say, because it's kind of like Wiles, Wiles. Um, that's weird. That's the welcome dinner gone. Iron Man have completely missed the point. Unless there's a welcome event as well, could be at the time of the briefing, the day before the race. So saying you basically you need to have a welcome event at least. Michael Mike Parrott, terrible idea. Even after ten plus Ironmans, I still enjoy the atmosphere of the carb loading party. For the first timers, it is even more important. Jack Tryman's got I no longer go to these things, but piss week from Ironman, it's a part of the experience. And saying that, maybe one way to keep the event here by supporting local businesses. Mm. Uh, what else? Uh, Alistair Horriban, whatever. Food's shit, too busy slash hot, miles away from the hotel. Who wants pasta before 10 hour plus racing? Another clever way of making dollars. PR move, clever supporting the local businesses. Not long until it's 500 pounds and you get a discount on a calf tattoo. <laughs> Roger Thomas, love it. They did this at Whistler and at CDA and I thought it was a good fit. I hate cheap buffets. Hell, hate buffets really uh well you have to wait in line not to mention it's normally the same stuff pasta salad bread buttered bread and mass-produced preserved rich desserts which with the smell of the sterno waffling away being able to go and eat what you want where you want is far better i'm sure local restaurants dig it too i wonder how much they charge like i'm sure they'll probably get a discount from local restaurants Mm. be interesting to see kind of what the deal is so really mixed i'm quite surprised really mixed um, comments there. It's a, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because I kind of when we when it, what a beautiful sky, John. Yeah, that is a beautiful sky. Not much snow up there. No, winter hasn't happened here, is it? No. There you go, guys. A weather update. Um, so when it, when I first read it, I thought, man, this rocks. What a cool idea, you know. Supporting good for the community, yeah. you know, and you can go out for friends and family. But you know, that point someone said is you kind of do that anyway in Ironman yeah. Week. So it's kind of a it's kind of happening anyway. Kind of divided down two lines. Once you've done it more than once or twice, it does become a repeat, copy, paste, report kind of experience. Yeah. So, you know, like even for us, we go to Kona every year, or when mm-hmm. we go to Kona, we often get the ticket to go to the after party. And, and it's like 50 bucks, and it's like, it's shit food. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's airline quality food. Yeah, totally. And, you know, and, there's, and the thing is, there's enough food, you mm-hmm. know, considering who they're feeding. It's not that they run out. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I don't know if it's a $50 experience or not. Mm. But if the first time I went to Kona, I thought it was balls. Mm. And Greg Welch did a speech that went for five hours. So that's, yeah. <laughs> that's how well I thought it was. So for that newer person to lose that experience on the race, I do think loses mm. something. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you know, totally I, I remember turning up to my first Ironman in New Zealand and they did the, they did the, the Julie Moss video. They did all the, mm. you know, run stand up and all that stuff. And it worked. You know, I loved it. And, mm. you know, to take that away from someone's Ironman experience actually diminishes the product if you ask me so and then for those of us who who don't want you know who kind of think it's a crap experience well you don't have to go 
Yeah, and, and maybe they can structure it in a way that – because the food is shit, uh, and if you don't want to do the food, you kind of need to be there for, for the briefing and things like that, whether or not no, they can – do the briefing differently? Oh, I can't. Yeah, I think they have the briefing at a different time, and then the Cabo party is more just, just a kind of celebration. Party. Yeah, and yeah. I can't it, remember. It's been I can't remember. It's been a while as well. But if that's the case, you don't have to go to the carb loading party. Don't go. But I think I think I totally agree. I think it's a really important part of the race um, for. And they couldn't really divide it either because you couldn't say, "Do you want to do one or the other?" Mm. Well, they could, but it'd be kind of logistically. Mm. It's a bit of a tough but one, isn't it? I say, get it back on, keep it rolling, improve food. Yeah, it's hard when you're trying to feed three thousand people to do yeah. good food, though. Yeah, it's hard, especially especially when so there you go. Now, it's more expensive. You have nice salmon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. A bit of foie gras, <laughs> champagne. There we go. So this week's discussion, so I don't know if we really had any conclusion there, John, but this week's discussion is, should we encourage more diversity in Kona to make it more like the Olympics where smaller, less developed nations have the chance to qualify? For example, India, where there are no races, but if, say, four slots were given to, uh, with the proviso that a half is completed, would that be a good thing? Or... Do we or having a delaying nation's pool of slots? I don't know what I was trying to write there. No, it's basically saying that you know we've got all these you know you get, to get to Kona if you're fast you can get there, but if you're in a developing nation like India, like say Indonesia or these different countries, should we maybe allocate some of these countries uh, some slots and saying okay, the best you know, instead of giving a hundred slots to these seventy point three races in China, saying okay for um, for China, for China, we'll give you guys 10 slots. For India, I don't, I don't know how to, how to actually do this, but uh, for, for India, I don't know if there's ever been an Indian person that's gone to Kona. Surely. But surely. Know. Maybe not for... Surely. There's a question for someone to go and find okay. out. Um, maybe a few slots for, for India. Or, I don't know. But just is there a better way we can maybe diversify the ethnicity of people going to Kona? Is the sport even... Like I'd love to know the kind of the range of the sport in India. I raced in India once. Did you? Yeah. And many people do the race? Yeah, there was a few. Yeah, there Indians, was, like locals? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was all Indians pretty much. I went over there with a few people from Hong Kong and it was a unique experience. I tell you really? That. We swam off uh, by a military base and then I think I won. It was Olympic distance. I think I won by about 10 minutes. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, That's embarrassing when you win by that much, eh? Yeah. But the, uh, and I wasn't going that hard either. Uh, But I won a bit of, I won, there was okay money there. Um, And the bike, on the bike, you had to be really careful because cows, you know, are sacred in India and you didn't want to crash into a cow and they were just wandering all over the place. And then on the run, my God, it was hot. But they were handing out bags of water, which was quite cool because you kind of just rip off the corner of the bag and you kind of be sucking it, sucking away on it. Um, but it was a cool experience. Except the one thing, when I arrived in India, I had no details whatsoever where I was staying, who I was picking up because I was flying on a different flight from the Hong Kong group. Oh, no. And they thought I was coming in with the Hong Kong group. And so I got there and I didn't have any money. You didn't have anything at all. Oh, and I arrived. And because I just thought I'd just get picked up. Yeah. And then uh, no one's they <laughs> picked me up. So what happened? I was standing in this airport in the middle of the night going, "What? The, I don't know where the race is. I don't know the name of the hotel. I know, I've know i got absolutely nothing. Wow. I'm standing there crapping myself. 
and some and then eventually I just went outside and just said to a taxi driver, "Can you just take me to a, a medium priced hotel?" Oh, really? <laughs> and there was no communications. This was back in the end of the nineties, and so I went to this hotel, and uh, and it was a shit hole. Really? And I was like, "Was it there. scary? Were you a bit kind of?" Yeah, yeah, it was a bit because I just knew, didn't know. You know, yeah. anybody could take advantage. Kind of reminds me of that scene from that movie Big with Tom Hanks when he's a kid and he kind of goes to that hotel in the rough part of town. Oh, yeah, I was crapping myself, and then I was lying there, and then I saw this rat run across the room. Oh, really? And then the next day, I just got into. Like, I didn't sleep at all. I managed, and then next day I got into a taxi and said, "Can you just drive me around where the nice hotels are?" And I happened to be driving past the hotel, and I saw a triathlete outside the hotel. I said, "That's it." I jumped really? out and I went in there. Wow. <laughs> it was crazy. Wow. That's, an, wow. Mm, that's pretty crazy because you're a pretty good player now. I'm amazed you didn't have your... Oh, this this was... Yeah, I would have been... It was 98, so that's... Uh, that's a few years ago. ago. <laughs> you were Early in your 20s. 40s then. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, good times. Okay, so what do you... Do you think we should be encouraging more diversity by using Kona slots to encourage those in smaller nations to, you know, be able to participate in a way that's not tied to an Ironman race is kind of what you're saying, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so maybe to go to the local triathlon community and say, look, 10 slots, find a way to make it work. Won't happen because that's no. the golden ticket, but still, interesting discussion. Okay, Jombo. Challenge wrote special. <laughs> challenge wrote special. Ready? Three, two, one. Challenge wrote special. Jumbo. Challenge wrote is one of the iconic races of our sport. And, and really well done to challenge the challenge crew because they, they've, they've built a brand outside of just challenge wrote. But, you know, when we think of iconic races, we think of Nice, we think of mm. what was the um, Power Man, mm-hmm. we think of, you know, these big races that in their time were massive. Then other than Kona, Challenge Road's the only one that's really survived. Mm, absolutely. You know, like even in, like probably Alpe d'Huez. Yeah, and that hasn't been around that long. I, I'd say the other... Oh, no, sorry, no, no. Um, Alcatraz. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. You know, it's probably that one, Road and Kona. There's not many others out there that, that have, have really, from the from day kind of one, really, mm, mm. and are still the thing that they were back in those days. Mm-hmm. So it's just pretty phenomenal, really, isn't mm. it? I mean, I mean, New Zealand's been one of the longest ones, but that used to be in Auckland, and and now it's in Taupo. I mean, Australia's and been around. And it's still not iconic New Zealand. Like, no. wrote every year, it's like, man, yeah. wrote's coming. New Zealand's like, yeah. oh, okay, New Zealand's coming. Mm. Whereas, you know, a lot of these races like Australia, and, 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 and they have changed, mm. and they're still not the significant event that they were in their time. So the first, first event was in 1984. Uh, this year they've got... And it was an Ironman German. Ironman. Uh, I don't know if it was an Ironman back then. But it was, I think it was an Ironman from maybe 88 on, something like that. Uh, but first edition was in 1984. They have about 3,400 people racing this year and about 650 relay teams. And they've got sort of about 60, 70 different countries. And on the course, they claim, and this is the police uh, sort of estimates, they have 260,000 spectators along the course, which is a many? lot. 260,000. Wow. So it's a lot. Uh, in 2002 was when they changed over from challenge to uh, from from Ironman to challenge. That's 14 years now that they've uh, sort of been do- running their own gig. Um, and when I was sort of having a bit of a look through some of the the results over the years, there's been a few dominations. So you know, I'm trying to find the the winner from 2000 and f- um, 1984. What 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 did you say then? 2002 was when they changed over to challenge. Oh, okay. So it's been been a while. So Lothar leader. He had a winning streak four years in a row from 2000 to 2003. Interesting Lothar leader story. We were on Epic Camp France and we were at Alpe d'Huez at the, the swimming pool there. Yep. Which is like, it is, 
I can tell you stories about that swimming pool. They, they 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 almost didn't want people swimming in their swimming pool. They wanted to just keep it as beautiful as possible. Oh really? You could not, you mate, you could not take a shoe out of your bag. I, we were on the pool deck, and I, I it had rained on us, and I wanted to just put my bike yeah. shoes on the pool surface to on the, the side of the pool. Get the <laughs> <laughs> it was like I'd, I was just about off to prison. Get your shoes in your bags, <laughs> and you, you you had to wear speedos. So you could, if you had not, a pair not try of, shorts. Yeah, if you had to roll those up a bit, or you had to pretend that you had to roll them up to try to fool them that they were speedos. If you wanted to just go for a general swim there, like you just wear the your board regular shorts, board yeah. shorts. No, you can't do that. Wow. You've got to be wearing speedos. Wow, it was crazy. They, um, it was terrible service. Lovely pool, but terrible service. Mm. But when we went in there, we had the pool booked out, and it wasn't open to the public. And Lothar Leader rocks up, and he wants to go for a swim. And they said, "No, this triathlon group's got got it booked out." And in hindsight, we were doing a race in there, so I thought, oh, "You can't. We can't even need all the space we've got." But in hindsight, he probably could have swum up and down the middle of the pool. So I felt it bad because. Oh, I so you rejected him? No, we didn't. They did. But was, you, did you know it was Lothar Leader? I did when he was wandering. I was going. Oh, I should probably no, invite him. Leader. You yeah. let him in. I should have done. Oh, it was an yes, error. Him. I was a bit tired. Did you say, oh, we need to get him on Legends? I, I was, and we've had him on Legends. Oh, have we? And I was thinking, yeah. I, I, was, I think that's like our leader. And then when he was wandering away, he had like an, an Erdinger bag. And I was thinking, I think that's like leader. Now I've seen the bag. I'm pretty positive it is. Oh, so I should have. John. It was poor form by me. John, that's, come on, you've got to respect your Legends. I know. And you wouldn't let everyone else in the group know, Lofa leader. They would have loved it. I know. Oh, uh, and Mac also had a four-year stint there. He won four years in a row from 2004 through to 2007. Chrissy, um, on the girls' side of things, had a, had a streak there from 2009 to 2011. Um, one thing that I did note on there, they only have a 15-hour cutoff time, so you've got to be done yeah. within 15 yeah. hours yep. uh, and 13 hours 45 for, for teams. It's also the Firefighter World Championships. Um, prize money is not... Massive, but I think that they must have a lot in appearance. In appearance now, there's fees. a really good Mecca did on his podcast. He did a, a what he made as, an, as a pro, mm. and he does this really, does a pretty honest upfront kind of, you know, the year I did wrote where he kind of pulled out. Remember the yeah. year where because he did Germany, um, like I think he got paid like 250k just to turn up. Right. Yeah, like it was a lot of money, and it, I can't remember which podcast Mecca did it. He doesn't do a lot of podcasts, but when he did within the last year, Porno sent it through to me. And I had listened to it. And it was pretty good. He was pretty upfront about what he was earning as a pro. Mm. Um, and the appearance fees that they pay mm. were pretty decent. Mac is in a different category to other people, though. Yeah, well, you've mentioned what they're paying to get. Yeah. So uh, prize money is 15,000 euros for the win, and it drops down to 10th place. It's not much for 10th. And it's 75,000 euros all up. So you compare that to Frankfurt, which is uh, double double the prize money. Basically, it's 150,000 US. So, um, yeah, it's it's... Is not massive and compared to, to other big races. Uh, what else, Bevan? This year, yeah, we've got a bit of a late entry rolling in in race week. So you guys will have heard I'm in Frankfurt that Daniela Reef did not finish. Uh, so she's decided to go over and do Challenge Road. So they've done pretty well, haven't they? They've got both world championship. Fantastic. Athletes. So you've got the two dominators of the sport. So, you know, Jan Fredino has been talking up that he you know, he wants to go after the course record. His expected time, according to tryrating.com, is 7 hours 55 minutes and 26 seconds versus Nils Fromhold is allegedly going to be 30 seconds behind in 7.55. Then there's going to be a big gap back to Tyler Butterfield. Uh, you got Joe Skipper there, Cyril Verneau, Pierre Bittner, Jan Raphael, Martin Jensen and Thomas Hellregel's uh, rated number 9 on Torsten's ratings. So Still going. Very top-heavy field, but uh, Nils Fromhold, you know, 
that dude is no slouch. He won it last year in 7 hours 51 minutes uh, with a 4.09 bike time and then a 2.51 on the run. So it's pretty impressive. Uh, no Timo Brack this year. But yeah, the big question is how fast can Fredino go? He showed him Frankfurt last year that he can just time trial off the front. He doesn't need a pack to sit behind. So if he's in the same form that he was in Frankfurt and can pull out a slightly better run, because uh, it was very hot in Frankfurt last year and he did look like he was hurting a lot, God knows how fast he could go, but he, he certainly has the capacity to beat that time. I wonder if he's going for it. Like, I wonder if, it, you know, because for like him, Kona's the goal. Yeah. He could probably, Nils is a pretty good athlete, but. You know, you're going to say that, you know, Fredino can win this race comfortably if, mm. as long as the wheels don't totally fall off. To go for that kind of top speed is, is you, you, you're kind of burning more of those kind of matches, aren't you? So I think he's going to go for it. You think he will? Absolutely. Okay, he can do Kona every, every you know, Kona, he's still got plenty of Konas left in the tank. Of course he wants to win it, but um, yeah, I think if, if, he's, uh, if he's in good shape and he's got a sniff of it, he'll just go nutbar. Game on! I'd love to see. I'd love to see him. I, I, the only thing is, I'd love to be see him tested. You know, where where he has got like with this field, we're probably not going to see it. But I'd love to see a race where Fredino was really like that's where maybe next year's kind of could be interesting if you get like mm-hmm. a Gomez come over. You know, where you see those guys of that top top level because we've seen amazing performances by Fredino, but with someone beside him, where does he go? Forecast uh, for the weekend: sort of twenty four to twenty seven degrees, um, partly cloudy, so. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's going to be an absolute steamer. We don't we don't believe long range forecasts, but uh, no. doesn't look like it's going to be terrible. Doesn't look like it's going to be too hot. So it's going to be exciting times. And uh, what we had also sent through Joe Skipper is going to be going after the 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 record for for for, for UK for the fastest Ironman anywhere in the world. He's had a great season. He came down to New Zealand and had a really good strong race there. The current record for the Poms is Paul Amy, who's actually a Kiwi who's raced under the Great Britain flag, done an 801. Tim Don 804 and Tom Lowe 807. Joe Skipper had the fourth fastest time, which is bloody impressive when it's done at Ironman New Zealand compared to those other races that are significantly faster. Uh, so he's got did an 809 Ironman New Zealand. So yeah, he's got the capacity, Joe Skipper, to go under under eight hours. So if he does that, he no, will be... No, man from um, the UK has done it before. No. Yeah. He will be... Uh, Have we had a Kiwi? Uh, Cameron Brown went eight hours and a handful of seconds. I remember at Ironman Melbourne, it was just a handful of seconds yeah. over. So no, we haven't. So, uh, Challenge Road must have started in 84, but the Iron Distance race didn't actually start until 88. So mm-hmm. in 87, it was a half, mm-hmm. and it was just called Triathlon Mr. Schaft Rot. Right. Maybe something like that. Uh, and then it turned into the Avia. Remember Avias? Yeah. yeah. Big brand back in the day, weren't they? Um, in 1988, and some German guy took it out, and there weren't many kind of you know foreigners. But the funny thing about it was, it was just called Ironman Europe. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. For a long time, it's called Ironman Europe. Yeah. Yep. So, so, in fact, all the way through to when it finished, I think it was Ironman Europe. And so it crossed over to Challenge in 2002. Mm. So it was actually I didn't realize it was that late in the piece because I only ever knew it as Challenge Road. I didn't know it as, as mm. Ironman. I didn't realize that was the case. So, um, yeah. And so, and yeah. So basically, it went for basically three or four years as kind of just a local triathlon. Then went to Ironman, and you know, it was pretty successful from there on in. On the girls' side of things, um, we've got Daniela Reef expected to come in at 8.42. Uh, so it's a long way off Chrissy's record, but you know, a lot of us think that she's in the same 
caliber. Well, this would be interesting, won't it? So be interesting. She, she's exactly like Fredino. She'll just go out there and swim and time trial off the front and just smash the crap out of it. And then the rest of the girls will more than likely be battling for second place. You've got Yvonne Van Vlerken, Anya Berenek and Carrie Lester, who've all raced really well there in the past. Michelle Vesterby, Mary Beth Ellis, Laura Siddle, Eric Jomor. So it's, it's a really good, strong females field. But you kind of think that they will be probably racing for second place because... Daniela Reef won't be going there to, to muck around. And if she was ready for Frankfurt the weekend before last, she's probably in pretty good shape. But okay, so let's say I, I haven't been able to find a race result from her qualifying mm-hmm. or, or you know verifying for this year's race. Now, she know, if that's the case, she still has to do another Ironman. Yep. Is she, will she go balls out? Will she save a little bit in the tank because of that? Oh, I think she'll go balls out. She's that kind of racer. She'll just go out there. So let's have a look at the Ironman calendar and see where else she can go. So she could uh, she could do Ironman Switzerland, which that would be my yeah. best. When's that? It's on the 24th, so it'll be the weekend after, which would not surprise me for her to go and do that and cruise around the course. Or otherwise she could go over to the Netherlands or to Sweden. She'd want to get done soon, Copenhagen. But she might just go and do it as a training day. Um, but remember, you have to show a credible performance. You do. Yeah. So if she doesn't Imagine that if she went out somewhere oh, how good and would did that be? say be controversy, we'd have lots to talk about. Did a ten hour race. And they said no, nah, it doesn't count. That would be interesting. They they couldn't do it, but imagine if they did. Oh, yeah. oh. Sorry, defending champion, you're not coming back. You know something we haven't heard much of recently? It's the fifty for fifty. It hasn't been a big topic recently, has it? It's kind of faded away a little bit. Mm. Mm. So, so challenge right this week, right this weekend. There'll be uh, there's good good coverage on their website, so go check it out. And next year, if you want to join us, it's more than likely happening. I haven't, I know that they're going to be busy getting the race, so we're not going to get anything sorted in the next couple of weeks. But it's looking pretty promising. So if you want to go to Challenge Road, uh, I'm. I've mapped out a couple of different opportuni- options in terms of what we're going to do. How long are you thinking? It'll be a week. A week? Um, but it won't be hardcore. It'll basically be... What, um, three or four hours a day? Oh, if that. No, it's more sort of uh, first couple of days, maybe a couple of... The current plan is to come into Munich and then tra- transfer yeah, yeah. up to um, Regensburg oh, yeah. and ride a lap of the Regensburg uh, challenge course up there. So we do a 90k bike ride through there. Regensburg looks like a beautiful place. Yep. And then transfer across to the bottom of the road course. I don't know the name of the place, Greening or something like that. And then spend a couple of days there and do and bike the bottom half of the course, sort of the 50k yep. bottom half of the course. And then transfer across to um, probably end up staying in Nuremberg or somewhere close to Nuremberg because you can't really get accommodation in road anyway. And be there for sort of about for the five days leading into the race so it's gonna be good times i'm trying to get that balance of being able to do some touristy stuff do a little bit of training to adapt to the environment check out the course but overall just have a good time with uh camp kiakaha camp kiakaha has made its comeback john yeah I saw our old Pyrenees Multisport put some photos from our old Cam Kekaha on her post, page. Yeah, I posted them up there because Ollie Jenner, one of our support crew, uh, who did the sausage a, man. He did a stellar job. Oh, he helped you on this camp, did he? Yeah, really. Uh, yeah, he was awesome. He's a ni- he was a ni- Ollie was a really nice man. Yeah, yeah, top top support crew. Really, and so well, one of the highlights of Cam Kekaha next he, one. He gave me the photos. Is yeah. um, Joe Reed, mm. who will be Joe Isles by yeah. then. Will be going to support us. And she loves that crap, man. Yeah, she yeah. is going to change your name. And you know what's funny about the name change? Because she's been married before. So mm. she's had, and then she went back to her old name. And then she kind of said to me once, oh, 
because I was never really that cared about marriage. And she goes, oh, I don't think if we got married, I'd change my name. I was like, babe, if we're getting married. Yeah. <laughs> and then I kind of, I didn't pack a sad, but I was kind of like, well, what's the point of getting married if you're going to do all that kind of stuff? And then, and then I kind of thought, I'm being an idiot here and I kind of let it go. And then she said, oh, no, I want to change my name. It's like, oh, you don't have to. And so now it's kind of, so Joe It's going to be a long show today. Oh, what are you saying? I don't know. <laughs> Tell my marriage story. Oh, name. Just looking at the clock. You bloody got, got all the epic game interviews to come. How long we got? Oh, we can save them for next week. We've got more, more next week. Um, fantastic! It's, it's fantastic. fantastic. So I won't spend too long on this because we're going to get it stuck into some epic camp interviews in a moment. But in terms of my stats from epic camp, it was a 11-day camp. So I've got multiple stats here. Uh, in terms of my moving time, because I have my garments on auto pause, so whenever we stop, it doesn't count. I clocked up just a bit over 72. Put that on on yourself because you're still you're kind of you're recovering, but you're still depends on how long you're stopping for. Yeah, but I want to see my averages. So, yeah, so I had 72 hours of moving time in 11 days. But on some of those days, we had a lot of stopping on the bike, waiting and stuff. Some of the descending meant we had to wait for for quite some time for some people. So I would say 72 hours moving time. If I was to say actually how long was out there in terms of the bikes, I'd easily add on an extra 10 hours over that, Uh, easily one hour per day of sort of just standing around. And aid stations, you know, when you got... 15 guys rolling into an aid station. It takes a while to get your drink bottles filled and stuff. So 72 hours total moving time. Uh, Swam around about 30 kilometres on the camp. Biked uh, around about uh, 1,250 kilometres. Nice. Ran about 130 kilometres. But the big uh, the big number there is elevation gain was 27,000 metres. So that's a lot of climbing. Yeah. Uh, biggest day for me was on my birthday where I did around 10 hours of moving time so tell us about the swim swim was good look and I've said that I said this to a number of my athletes yesterday was the biggest thing that came out of this camp for me that much more so than a a regular epic camp was just breaking things down into little bite-sized pieces and and how this was really helped on the camp was when you're going up a big climb and I I think I mentioned this a couple of times when we chatted you've got the 1k markers all the way up oh nice and but they become really powerful when you're exploding uh, because you just go okay all i got to do is the next kilometre is at 8% and I've just got to get through the next kilometre yeah. and you don't worry about what's to come it says you know, maybe it says 12k's to the top you go all I'm thinking about is the next kilometre and just getting through that and then hopefully I might get a little respite somewhere but it's just literally k by k and the same thing sort of happened in the 100 100s it really wasn't it was nowhere near as hard as what I thought it was going to so be so how long did it taking you? Uh, moving time was two hours forty nine, so I was in the oh, water nice. about three hours. And you were the only person who ended up doing it? No, no, no. There was a number of guys. Oh, it was okay. Hats off. I mean, for me, it was a big deal. But I've done ten k swims before, and I'm yeah. a reasonable swimmer. But for a lot of the other guys who have only ever swum five k before, ten k was oh that man, was it's a big step up. And they especially were especially after what you've done. Yeah, they were in there for three and a half hours plus outside fifty meter outdoor pool. So it wasn't too bad. But the, going through the swim. All I was doing is just breaking it into 20s. So every 20th one, we could do a backstroke and have a bit of extra recovery. Yep. So it was really a case of you know just going through and just looking yeah. at the Garmin and going, okay, that's number 12. I wasn't thinking, that's 12, I've got yeah. 70, 78 to go. It was, okay, that's 12, I've only got another 8 till I get to 20. So that was probably the biggest thing that came out of the camp and, and what you can apply to racing is just Check stay in the down. moment and just deal with what you're dealing with. But for me, the 100 100s went really quite well. Quite, Easier did them on the 145 uh, and, and the what were you coming in on? 
uh, started at about 1.30 and it just felt comfortable and yeah. then it sort of dropped a little bit so I was getting you know between 1.30 and 1.35 a few quicker but not really much any slower so I was getting sort of 10, 10 seconds rest every 100. It's funny you say that because when we did that Ironman I am talk weekend and we did that ride and I kind of blew up on that last ride. Mm. Like I was really proud. Like I always, you know, like I love that idea of it's easy to be strong when you're fresh, but mm. who are you when you are weak? And mm. you know, I, I just blew up and it was I couldn't stay with you guys and and the bastards the hill was called the bastard that we were going up and it's, it, you can't really fake it and there was moments where I was like man I could get off and walk this and go faster mm. but I just kind of went to that place I went to you know what I, I want to keep riding what do you need to do right now just work through to the next corner and just mm. kind of break it down now it was a grovel and it was bloody slow mm. but I was really proud of I went to the right type of thinking that was going to help me get through this and it's such an important part of being a good athlete oh yeah you know like you know to, how do I how do I think my way through this problem that gives me the best way of getting the best performance out mm. now for me and that moment it was just about keeping moving because mm. I was on the edge but you know even throughout the, basically even that whole ride I was just thinking what do I do to make sure I'm successful on today's ride and it's such a such an important kind of way of thinking isn't it and lots of guys on the camp had that moment and that's what Epic Camp's all about is uh, dealing that, with eh? those tough moments because you can't replicate Ironman racing but Epic Camp's probably about as close as you're going to get got to say guys there's a book I'm listening to right now um, it's the guy who, you know, the rule of 10,000 hours? Yeah. was a guy who kind of actually made up that rule. So yep. Gladwell made that rule popular in his book, Outliers. But this this guy, which his name is called, let me pull it up here, I've got it right now, is Anders Ericsson. Uh, it's called Peak. Have you read that book? I've heard the name, though. Oh, Jesus, good. Mm. Really good. I'm halfway through it and... Um, Re- highly recommend it, guys. Highly recommend it. So if you are interested in kind of your own development and kind of how to perform at higher levels, check out Peak. So just in terms of my stats on my birthday special, I knew you basically have a 12-hour window, and I knew basically said to people, I'm gonna, you probably won't see me tomorrow. I'm going to be out there for 12 hours. So I got up 6.15, um, started, started off with it, and this is day 9 or 10. Started off, I wanted to do a, t- a reasonable 10k because if you go under 38 minutes for a 10k, you get, a, get some bonus points. So we went up to this lake and it was about a 3k circuit. And was it hard to do 38 at that stage of the camp? No, not at all. Really? I ended up running 36.50. Oh, wow. And yeah, I was working, but I was comfortably working. Yeah. Like I was just a case of banging out so the case. So it wasn't case. a grovel? Not at all. So did that, went straight back to the, the chalet slammed down some food as quick as I could then I was on the bike I wanted a 30k recovery ride just to loosen the legs off before the swim because I thought oh, if I do this hard run and then swim there could be a bit of cramping mm. so I just quickly did that got back just in time to jump in the bus and then straight down to the pool did the 100 100s jumped straight out of the pool and then straight into a two hour run that was a bit of a grovel um, it was pretty bloody Wait, hot so you've done your 10k run already and then 10k run and then one hour bike did the 100 100s straight and then a two hour the run the, Ooh, yeah, day, jumped mate. jumped onto the bot, uh, did the run. Was running past our chalet a couple of times, and they made these nice cakes for us. Um, yeah, just went and each time I was running and just slammed a piece <laughs> of cake down. Ran straight back out the door and carried on running. Came back, slammed another piece of cake down, and did that a couple of times. Finished my run um, straight into the bike gear, and I only had. Um, three and a half hours but I want to try to get 90 k's in and where we were in Morzine there's no no real flat roads around there and so I thought you know I've got to have to average 30 k. so I got on the bike and uh, wait uh, so you've done a, a 10k run sub 36k yeah. run yeah you've rode for an hour yeah you've done 100 100s yeah a two-hour run, run and then you we'll do a 90k bike ride yeah and Far so out jumping on the bike and I'm going I've got to right I don't have to ride hard but I've got to make and, sure and everything's done pretty pretty good clip oh yeah 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 and so getting on there how are you feeling at this moment 
oh, I'm feeling okay. I'm feeling pretty good. Wow, um, that's mine. That's awesome. And it mate. was it was gently downhill, and then I was sort of grinding back up, and I did the first sixty, and I thought I was I was averaging I was averaging about thirty one k an hour, so I thought I'm sweet. Yeah. That last hour was a bit of a drag. Really. And finished. I had about sort of fifteen minutes to spare, so that was uh, that was my birthday day. It was a big day. How did you feel at the end of it? I was pretty tired. It was, it was sort of starting to get. Belinda knew Weak. that I was. Belinda knew that I was tired because I started getting a little bit emotional at that stage. Oh, I really? sent an email and stuff, and and that's kind of it. You get at the end end of an Ironman and stuff. You just start to lose it a bit. Yeah. And so I was I was pretty tired. Wow. But it was a good good day. I enjoyed. I did, so, uh, did it all by myself. And the camp. What day was that? It was the second to last day. So you didn't have so one more day, day to go. Day 10. And last day is an easier day? Last day was a race. Okay. I was a little tired for the race. Yeah, I can't imagine but you dominated the race after no, that day before. Did okay. Not very good tapering that day before. No. no <laughs> so you recommend that on the Friday before an Ironman? So it was good. But well, that, well that's nev- impressive, mate. Well done. Never do that. I, I can never do that in a, a regular training day. You know, but just when you're on camp and you've into the mode and you haven't got anything I love else that moment about. where you do that you know that, that's crazy what you did that day mm. and um but i do love those days in your life where you just do something that's so outside of the box mm. but you know there's that self-discovery that comes with it and also just that kind of understanding of potential mm. you know that i can do something like this is it's pretty awesome mate. still well, life in the, body, the old body yet so now we're going to do some see that was a quick <laughs> got some epic camp coverage coming got to say a special thanks to our sponsors Blue 70 you will have seen I got a, I got a new Blue 70 suit over there and it really felt very good we also had some Which cool suit helix? caps new helix oh. looking good SLS I gave them a plug on Facebook yesterday because I, wore, I wear the SLS socks um when I'm travelling now and wore them all the way over there, all the way back, man, I had zero cankles and felt really quite good about it. My stocks were sinky afterwards. I have them and I always forget to take them. And I get cankles like, you're like, I'm an elephant when I land off a plane. They work real well. uh, Uh, And salt stick, Guys, we're pumping through the salt stick, especially if you guys are doing low-carb, high-fat. Um, you really need to look after your, your sodium intake, so we're pumping through the salt stick, and especially the Pyrenees Multisport. Those guys do a fantastic support crew role. And uh, How many days were you with those guys? They were with us the whole time. Oh, with the whole yeah, time? Yeah, so they've got their two minivans, they've got the trailers, and they just... Really, they understand service, eh? Yeah, and yeah. Are, uh, Julie's fantastic because she's standing up on a mountain and she'll go past and she'll have the music blaring out yeah, of the car and she'll be standing there. Really, yeah. yeah, and that's what you need. And the guys, they really do appreciate it. So, if you want uh, to go check them out, they do camps all around um, France, not just in the Pyrenees. Um, but if you've seen the last couple of stages of the Pyrenees, you'll see that sort of where they are. Uh, so check it out, PyreneesMultisport.com. Yeah, so we've got um, a bunch of interviews coming up today. We're going to have the, the Philinator coming up. We've got Shannon, who was amazingly strong on the bike again and in the swim. So she's a, an age group athlete from Australia, but formerly in New Zealand. We've got the Holy Hammer, Murray Lapworth, coming she up. She used to come to my classes, John. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, she's a beast. Uh, Rob Moore. Rob had a big night on the last night. Does this post the big night, the interview? No, it's not. It's, oh. it's, 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 it's the, most of the, all, all of these interviews. You'd be a cheap date at the end of the camp, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. All these interviews are done on the final night, okay. um, and so I was, as you're going to hear, I was having a few wines yep. and uh, and hopefully don't get too, too slurry, but not as many as Rob and a few others. They were leaving at five fifteen the next morning. Ooh. So and, and the, the the guys at the place we stayed at was called uh, Try for the Alps. They run a bunch of chalets and near Morzine, and highly recommend them. It's a great training location. It's called Try for Try for the Alps, and again. But like Pyrenees Multisport, these guys had fantastic service. Yep. And I said, look, 
we've got quite a few people leaving at 5.15 because they have to go across the other side of France. And she said, um, Amelia, who's a former athlete, she said, oh, well, that's okay, we'll get up really early and myself and my husband will come and, and put some, some croissants out and some basic breakfast so they can slam something down before they go. And so they must, I think they said they got up at about 4.30 and rolled across the chalet, maybe about 4.45. There was about five guys that were rolling in from the night oh, out really? at 4.45 and then, and then had to leave, leave at 5.15. Wow, I was when so I was in Sweden last year. We, we we had the last night, and then we were flying out the next day. I was going to LA, and one of my workmates and we I went out partying, and they wanted to go in town. I couldn't be able to go in town, so I went to bed about maybe one, and I mm. had to leave at five. And one of the guys got in at four thirty, but wisely because he was drunk as a skunk. Yeah, he just got his bags from his room and just went down and waited. It was fell asleep at reception, so he knew <laughs> I'd get him. Yeah, <laughs> and I got him. And he's, yeah, and then we got on a train. He was straight asleep. I was worried he wasn't going to get his flight. But yeah. so we've got uh, Rob Moore coming up, and then we've also got uh, Jen Macro from no Jen Turner. Was it Macro? Was her maiden name uh, from Australia? And she was a unique one because she didn't have a clue what she was getting herself into. Oh, really? Her husband was coming on the cab, and so that gives another different perspective. And I've got to apologise to to Ben Moore, who's a listener of the show. Did a really good interview with him, and he's coming up as well in there. But the first part of the interview got cut out. <laughs> he's got a really and unique job so he worked um, he's, a, he's a POM but he's, he was living in Australia and this is what he was sort of staying in the first part of the interview uh, he worked in Australia for seven years or so but he worked for the Sydney Swans oh yeah the, 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 the AFL, AFL so uh, Aussie, Aussie rules, rules yeah. and he was I think he was the, the kicking coach he's very much oh, into really? his biomechanics and stuff really? and also very much into his uh, low carb high fat and I don't think enough this came across in the interview but he puts Sometimes puts olive oil in with his uh, his water and his and his, really? his infinite when he's when he's drinking. Very accomplished athlete. He's got a number of finishes in the nine hour to nine fifteen range. Yeah. So unfortunately, it was a really good first half of the interview. Um, but you didn't record it. But the bloody thing didn't seem to be recording properly. So got the second half and still some good stuff in there. But there will be one interview towards the end there with Ben Moore, who uh, had a bit cut out there. So that kind of sucks. But uh, great athlete. Okay, um, we'll put those on right now. It's beer o'clock on Epic Camp, which means we have completed. It's been a very epic journey, and we're just sort of kicking off now into post-race festivities. And I've got the Philinator here with me, who had to do Le Tacon on the final day to get camp completion after coming a little ill last uh, yesterday. Phil, how are you feeling? Yeah, good, thanks, John. Talking at the microphone, Phil, you're a rookie. <laughs> I'm trying to get there. <laughs> um, you're, a, you're a camp veteran now. How did you find this camp versus uh, Canada? Um, it was different. I really enjoyed this camp, um, just the scenery and coming to France and cycling through all the roads and some of the climbs that I'd seen about in the Tour de France. It was um, pretty fantastic, actually. Um, awesome experience. Um, different to Canada in the fact that there was lots of solo riding. Um, the group splinters on those climbs so it's much harder to keep together so there was quite often on a climb I might ride for a whole hour by myself and that happened quite a lot um, but that no, was really good I really enjoyed the camp what was your highlight of the camp actually having a reasonable mountain climb yeah. <laughs> at one point cold as rain cold as rain yeah I didn't my power was still pretty low there but um, <clears throat> I probably enjoyed that climb the most because I was able to, to get all the way up um, I had a good climb on another one, but I can't recall which one it was. Colombier or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I 
it happened as I thought it would because I had no fitness coming into the camp, as you're well aware. <laughs> Doing five or six hours training a week probably wasn't ideal prep for this. Um, and so my fitness seemed to come good after about a week, and then I started to get stronger. It's called the, it's called the Christchurch effect. <laughs> it's uh, myself, Murray, the Holy Hammer Lapworth, who we'll have on in a moment, and Phil all seem to come home fairly strong in the, the tail end of the camp. I think part of it is it was acclimatising, coming out of, you know, we're not making excuses, it was deep, dark winter, we still did plenty of training, but I think it's certainly we were getting a little more pounded by that heat, and, and I certainly found I couldn't climb as well in that first sort of five or six days. Um, also think that sleep it took a took it took about five or six days before the sleep started to come right. I'm glad yours has come right. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Um, what about some lo- low lights of the camp? Other than uh, chundering and uh, <laughs> pulling your pants consistently yesterday. <laughs> um, no any, real light. dark moments. Real dark moments. No, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty optimistic person anyway, so I don't tend to think about those sorts of things. Um, I really try and focus on the positive stuff out of the camp. Th- th- there were days where I had to focus on not stopping mm. and really focusing on getting up the climbs, but not once that I really have to dig. Mont Ventoux is probably the day that I had to dip, dig the deepest because that was that first day. It's hot. It's mm. different to what we're used to. And it's a two-hour climb. Mm. It's uh, it's pretty tough. Uh, very exposed at the top. That's probably the hardest day I I can recall. But um, no real lowlights. Just mm. some parts were more mentally challenging than others. That's how I'd probably say it. And it really did suck that you were sick yesterday. Is there a little part of you? And you're not you're not a swimmer. Is there a little part of you that was disappointed you couldn't do the hundred one hundreds? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I was yeah I was disappointed that I couldn't do that, but I was then also lucky the fact that we had a whole day here at Morzine where I could I spent I spent the whole day in bed I I got up at eight to tidy myself up from from the night of vomiting and, and whatever you uh, and then I slept I slept till three o'clock in the afternoon and then I got up and had something to eat and started to come right and had to get myself ready. I, I knew I had to take the whole day and I knew I had four and a half hours of training to make up today and so I got onto it pretty early this morning, this morning to, so to run, us, run us through your final day uh, final day festivities <clears throat> so uh, I woke up about 5.30 this morning and it got light about quarter to six so I got changed and got out on the road and so I was out there uh, at six o'clock ready to go done my warm up and I thought I'd pump out a sub 40 minute 10k. First of all, I thought I'd try and get 38 minutes because there's, there's another point for that, obviously. Um, but after a K or so, it just I knew it wasn't going to work, so I just settled into rhythm about that 3:55, 3:58 minute K pace, and um, yeah, finished 39:40ish mm. sort of thing for the 10k, and then came back inside, um, just got straight into my cycling kit and went out for a ride. That was about an hour and a quarter or so. Um, just got some distance done really, 30 odd k's, and then came back, had, had a quick breakfast, sort of 15-20 minutes, got ready into my tri kit and then joined you guys and went up to the lake and then we did the try for the day. Pretty strong performance by you? Yeah, I was reasonably, I mean considering I had been, uh, you know, <laughs> up all night, a couple two nights before, vomiting and what have you, I was reasonably pleased how it went. I took the run reasonably easy. Once, once Rob came past and I was in fourth, 
I thought there's no point in screwing myself because I knew I still had two and a half hours of riding to go once I'd finished. Mm. So I took it reasonably, I mean, reasonably easy, still running 420 sort of K pace. Yeah. So not super easy, but um, I didn't certainly didn't drop the hammer on it. Yeah. And finally, what are you what are you going to do now? Well, because you're, you're famous on the podcast, you're like my <laughs> training buddy. Everybody hears about the Philinator every week. Yeah. People want to know what you're doing. Well, I've got nothing planned. I'm I'm gonna uh, really the whole training was to come to the camp mm. and enjoy that, and uh, probably one of the few people to come just for the fun of coming to on an effort camp rather mm. than uh, training for a race or something. Um, but um, obviously, John, you're going to have something in store for me. So once you've told me what I'm doing, then I'll um, put it into action. Negotiating time. Yep. Fantastic, Phil. Well done on uh, cracking up camp completion and Le Tech on today. No worries. And I uh, just wanted to say thanks very much, John, for organising this. It was my 40th birthday present mm. to myself this year. And you obviously turned 40 this year, sort of month or so after me. So thanks very much for the trip. It's been uh, bloody fantastic. Great. Okay, if anybody has been following uh, my blogs, they've been getting shorter and shorter as we've gone through the camp. Um, one name that pops up in quite a few of them has been Shannon, whose feet I've become accustomed to following a little bit, or she's followed mine a little bit. And then on the bike, uh, there's been a little bit of following to and fro, but more often than not, I've had my ass t- uh, caned on some of the climbs. Her name's Shannon Prophet. She's a Kiwi, but living in Australia. So welcome along Epic Camp number two, Shannon. How you feeling? Thanks. I'm pretty happy to be um, have completed camp, so oh, it went well. Um, you did Canada last year as well. How do you, I've had the Philinator just on as, um, before. How do you sort of compare the two camps? Oh, it's a tough one. Um, I guess this one definitely had a lot more climbing, so there was probably a lot more individual riding, whereas um, Canada there was a lot more group riding and pace lines and attacking and random attacking, whereas this this um, tour had just more um, straight out hill climbs and attacking on the King of the Mountains. So I'd probably say that was the same difference, or the, the main difference. Um, so the lake temperature was a bit different on them yeah. some of them as well. We had um, some whingers yesterday who were complaining about our lake, the lovely lake called Lake uh, Montreal, and I'm picking it was probably maybe 18 degrees, 17, 18. So it was a little on the fresh side, but holy crap, compared to Canada, it was like a like a hot bathtub. Oh, it was a lot warmer. <laughs> what's, um, what's the secret to your climbing? Because you're a bloody beast on the climbs. Um, what do you sort of focus on and, and how have you become good at it? <laughs> Well, if you've seen me go downhill, you know I um, am normally off the back on the downhills, so I normally just have to catch up on the uphills. So I think that's my secret. Um, yeah, no, no, no idea. Queen of the mountains on the the Columbia. Have you have you checked that file to make sure I was I was right on that? Yes, that is according to Strava. That is official now. So <laughs> I am the queen of um, that coal. So Columbia was a first category climb. It was. Uh, I think it was about 12 or 14 k's long. It wasn't the hardest, it was only sort of average oh. at 7. No, it was, it was the hardest in terms of gradient, it averaged about 7% compared to um, some of the whore category. I don't know what it needs to be to get to whore category, but it was the first category climb. It was bloody hard, and I was, uh, and I was drilling it. My legs had finally uh, come right, and I was feeling pretty good. Um, but no, hats off to you. Queen of the Mountains on Strava is bloody awesome. Uh, what's, your, what's your plan for the rest of the year? Um, so probably take a couple of weeks to recover and um, soak up the fitness from this camp and then um, 70.3 um, worlds is the big goal so it'll be um, 
focus um, focus some training and leading into that in um, September, beginning of September. So that's, that's the main goal for the year. Fantastic. I know it was good to have you here kicking some ass and well done on a good camp. Good one. Thanks, John. <laughs> okay, uh, we're up to, I'm only up to beer number two, but it's going to start hitting the spot pretty quickly. The Holy Hammer is sitting next to me. He's on to, is it a, uh, what is it, Murray? That's uh, Woodford Reserve Bourbon and okay. Coke, and it's number two, so, but it's already having an effect. Got, got, it, got to get in early. There's a little dehydration and fatigue factor starting to kick in. <laughs> So a lot of you guys will have heard from uh, heard about the Holy Hammer. It's, um, we've got Rob and a few other guys who I'll get later on, and they think uh, like the Holy Hammer and the Fillinator are a part of the show because uh, I talk about the most weeks when we're going out training, and you've been a good training buddy to have out on Sunday morning rides. Um, tell us a little bit about your your camp, your sort of expectations, and uh, how that sort of matched up against um, what's actually happened out there. Oh, it certainly exceeded expectations, that's for sure. It's um, been an incredible experience and it will be uh, memorable for life and there's been some life-changing moments. It's um, particularly that day on Le Isaran that was, had to go really deep there to just get to the top and uh, that was a real struggle. So, um, But in terms of and the day of the Rosaline, the scenery there was just awe-inspiring. Mm. It was incredible, and uh, the whole program has been very well put together, and uh, great support. And all you need to do is train, eat, sleep, and it's it's fantastic. So. You obviously you've, you know you followed the camps for for quite a while. Um, what what were you most concerned about coming into the camp? The the intensity of the pace at times and the effect that, that would have on me as a 53-year-old now, I have certainly discovered even in training that as soon as I introduce intensity, it takes a lot to recover from. And so I've had to very much pace myself. And uh, it's, I've built in the last few days, and today was the most intense day when I knew that the consequences were not fatal thereafter. Yeah, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. so um, Yes, and it's and I knew the hundred hundreds that that was a daunting challenge, and it was going to be significant in the overall scheme of things. And uh, thankfully, I managed to get through that. So, so tell us about your swimming and and um, what sort of level swimmer you're at, and how you sort of got yourself through the hundred one hundreds because it was a bloody big effort for a lot of you guys who had you know most of them, the guys that did the hundreds have probably only ever done fifty odd or five k swims. To, so. What's your swimming level like? Um, how did you set about the task and how did you actually get through it? So the best I can achieve is just break 130 per 100. and I can do one of those, possibly two. Mm. Uh, my steady pace is 150 per 100 and race pace is 140 per 100. Uh, I of late I've been, well this year I've been swimming once a week, twice in a good week and in the last couple of weeks, three times a week and up to 3k. But I did do a set with uh, the crew back in December where I stepped it up from the 3K and did 67 100s. And what I realised from that was the key, and I did those on two minutes, and the key was to just be steady from the outset, not be too hard. I've discovered in any training session if I go hard in the first, early on, I'm fried for the session. So, And uh, what surprised me is that I was able to get through that 67, but, and, but I was still in awe of the 100 because it was another 50% increment on that 67, which was still a pretty big step up. So, 
so I didn't attempt to do them on the two minutes. I did them on the 2.15 and was very comfortable coming in on the, the two minutes plus or minus three seconds and uh, was able to descend in the last, the last 90. Um, well, the last 10, and um, got down to 148, so. Mm, fantastic. And um, what's been, uh, any, what are the, you mentioned the Rosaland before is, is a real highlight. Um, any other things that, or, or any sort of breakthroughs that you had? You said you had some life-changing moments out there. You know, maybe tell us what they were and, and whether that's, you know, reflective of racing Ironman further down the track or just becoming a, a stronger person bit of both in terms of on the Rosaland, uh, sorry, on, on the um, Izzeran, yep. um, it was cold, I was alone, I was struggling to just, uh, I had the discomfort of saddle sores, but I thought they'd come right because I couldn't feel them anymore, but in hindsight I realised it was the rest of the body was aching so much, that <laughs> <laughs> because on the descent the saddle sores came back. Um, and it was such a grind just to turn the pedals over that I thought of a good friend's wife who is fighting cancer with a short-term terminal diagnosis, and that inspired me that probably it, this, I thought this was the toughest challenge I've faced in my life was to get up this thing and realise, well, that might be a bit pathetic because I've probably got some more significant challenges to face in life, mm. particularly when you think about what other people go through. So... Um, it gave me a whole new respect for what other people are, are going through. So, that, that being said, totally understand what you're saying. When you're at the bottom of a 20 kilometre climb, which was God knows what it averaged, but it was extremely difficult and would be had a very hot, hot, hard day. That is not a nice feeling when you're blown up basically at the bottom and you've got a 20 k climb to go. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's yeah. You just have to just and. When I even got to the within when I got to six kilometres from the top, I thought, uh, okay, that's the equivalent of Akaroa up Long Bay Road to the Summit Road, but that was too much for me to handle. I could not cope. I realised I could not do that yeah. at, at that level of fatigue that I had. So I had to break it down into one kilometre at a time, yeah. and I was weaving across the road. I was light headed. I was actually probably a danger on the road, yeah. uh, but managed to just get through. Right, that was a big day. Um, any other things about the? I mean, uh, maybe one other thing about maybe talk about nutrition a little bit. Um, it's been challenging. You've been following a low carb, um, high fat diet, uh, which is reasonably difficult to follow when you're in France, when you're on a camp and you haven't got control over nutrition and what have you. How have you sort of found low carb, high fat, and 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 also maybe how have you fueled yourself during the camp? Yeah, so the first week, it took me over a week we don't for need too my many gastro <laughs> track to settle down, but um, it, it did eventually, and that was a combination of flying and then the not having the, the amount of protein and the limited carbs that I would normally have. I had, on Von 2 on the first day, was the only bottle of sports drink that I've had. I was on water all the other time and solid food like M's power cookies and uh, the crepes and so real food and I didn't have any gels after Von 2 um, and then today on the second lap of the run in the triathlon I realised that the I was running on fumes so I took coke 
for the last lap and that was the first time I turned to coke on the yeah. whole thing so my body has metabolized uh, flexibly and I actually don't tolerate carbs and high nutrition very well now I'm better off with water and yeah. some solid food so. Um, and finally, you know, you're a 53 year old, um, you've made it to, to Kona before you qualify for this, so I guess that gives people an indication of sort of your, your level of ability, but what's your advice for other sort of maybe 40 year olds and stuff who may be thinking, I can do epic camp, you know, um, take the plunge, or what do you, what do you, what's your advice for people out there thinking this might be of interest for them? Oh, I think it's a fantastic experience, and I don't have a, I've done this as an experience in itself, I hasn't, don't have a race lined up for six to eight weeks which is what the ideal would be. Um, I'd love to do Busselton in Perth in December is the next best thing I can arrange. Work might interfere with that but um, that would be my, my opportunity to get a fast time which is what I'd like to achieve on a, on a good, good course. But um, I know that certainly from this I will have a level of strength and endurance that I couldn't have achieved anywhere else. And in that regard I am doing the K2 in Coromandel which is a 200km cycle race at the end of October with four major hill climbs in it. And I did that because I figured I'll be in the strongest cycling form of my life as a mm. consequence of this. And so I'll look forward to seeing what I can get out of that. So. And one final thing, um, you're taking home the, the red jersey, unless my calculations are, or your calculations are incorrect. Um, was that a added motivator for you? you? You were getting pretty intense on those points. Um, was that was an added motivator for you on a daily basis? I was aware of it before we came in and I, it was not my objective to secure it but I did on the first day and so then it was my objective to defend it mm. and I went on the offence to create a buffer and a margin and yes on about day five when you told it, warned us that we would become zombies, I was already, already a zombie on day one actually but uh, <laughs> by day five I was fairly intense on focused on securing the jersey and I uh, didn't like some of my behaviour in that regard, yeah. um, but got through that and yes, it, it did become a strong motivator until the last two days, or yesterday when I got to the point, well, I've done my best, if the other guy's out there and tacking on and tacking on tacking on, so be it, I'm not going to go out there and just train for the sake of winning points. So. And so the red jersey was for the over 50s and we had... Uh, <coughs> About four or five in there, so good effort, Murray. Well done on camp completion, Red Jersey, and uh, we'll see you out on some Sunday bike rides. Thank you. The drinks are still flowing, the words are slurring even more, but I've got uh, Rob Moore here with me. Come, for come forward a little bit, Rob. Yep. Have we given you a nickname yet or not? Uh, give me more, Rob, <laughs> give me more. There we go. <laughs> That's another I Am Talk classic. Um, what was your motivation to come on the camp? Um, so, uh, I'm a fairly strong swimmer, fairly strong runner, not the best cyclist. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've also, uh, long, uh, been a fan of the Tour de France. So, uh, both looking to improve my cycling ability and also, uh, go over some of the iconic climbs of, uh, the tour. And get ready for Kona? Yes. Uh, get ready for Kona. Um, uh, again, uh, still need some work on the bike, um, so I uh, saw this as a great opportunity to log some big miles over, you know, uh, an 11 day stretch and uh, get my cycling act in gear. T and tell us a bit about your background, because you qualify for Kona, you've got a, a weapon run leg, and, but you haven't really been in the game very long and don't have much of a background. 
Yeah, um, <clears throat> I graduated from college uh, having played um, uh, football and lacrosse, actually in high school, and then in college, uh, just continued weightlifting, um, but got into running uh, after having graduated and was living in New York, working long hours, just kind of looking to stay in shape, uh, and really fell in love with it. Um, I read the book Born to Run, and it like hit a hit a nerve, and yeah. got really into running, and kind of went went all out on it, and then uh, soon got into triathlon, and similarly uh, started to get more and more into it and at some point in time it kind of uh, started to take over more and more of what I was doing in life. Um, so uh, really about uh, two years ago I started uh, training in earnest and was lucky enough to uh, have a have a really good race at Cozumel in November of this past year and qualify for Kona and um, have really spent the past you know, uh, better half of the year in prep for, for Hawaii. Mm. So how many years have you been doing triathlon before you qualified? Just to <coughs> piss a few people off. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, I actually got, I probably did my first sprint triathlon in, uh, 2010. So it's, it's been a while that I've yeah. done, um, triathlon, but, uh, my first Ironman was in 2012, and I was totally clueless as to what I was doing. Uh, it was the first and only uh, triathlon or Ironman in New York City, oh, yes. and it yeah. was uh, yeah um, a little bit of a logistical nightmare, kind of a an interesting course and whatnot. But uh, I think I went 11:23 there, yeah. and my most recent race uh, was able to shave two hours off of that. So. Nice. Um, uh, I've done three Ironmans and looking to kind of continue the trend. What have you What have you learned on this camp? Um, you know, I've learned a lot. Um, I'd say that uh, in addition to getting better at uh, cycling in general, my descending has improved quite significantly. Uh, I've gotten a lot more confident at it. Uh, just watching guys like uh, you, John, and Phil bomb down the mountain uh, and kind of being able to follow some of those lines, uh, been able to uh, get stronger at that. Um, but also just in terms of like personally, I've learned that um, you can kind of really push yourself more than you might imagine uh, at many points on this camp, given that I'm a little bit weaker in, at the cycling leg. Uh, I hit some very low lows on the yeah, bike. You had a few yo-yo days. Where one day you were good, one day you were, let's just say, not so good. Yeah, uh, dropping off the back of the pack and long rides solo. So uh, had a lot of time to think and uh, contemplate life. But uh, yeah, all good, all good in the end. Uh, learn that you can you know, really push yourself to new limits day in, day out, and uh, come out the other side. Mm. What's the plan now? You're going off Tour de France. Yes. Uh, so myself, uh, Murray, Ian, and Phil uh, will be going to watch um, two stages of the tour in uh, the Pyrenees. So uh, very much looking forward to that. Um, have never, uh, never seen the tour up close and personal. And uh, really prior to this trip, had never been to France outside of Paris. So mm. this has been a uh, pretty amazing way to see the country mm. and uh, have had some really scenic views and whatnot. Anything else that sort of stands out from the camp for you? Um, 
Yeah, uh, the people on the camp, it's uh, amazing the humor that uh, people can have and uh, the levit, uh, you know, just like good nature and funny jokes that uh, kind of come off the cuff when you're uh, at day eight or nine of, yeah. uh, you know, a 50 plus hour training week. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, some real characters on the camp, um, people from all over the world, too. So. Uh, definitely a experience I'll, I'll remember for many years. Fantastic. We will look forward to seeing you in Kona, and we'll look forward to those uh, tan legs of yours smoking up that run course. <laughs> Linda Carfrey, look out. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, thank you, John. Brilliant. The night is wearing on, and our fantastic team here at, uh, where are we at? We're in Morzine at a place called Reach for the Alps have made me a birthday cake. So I'm chowing into that and a few more wines have gone on as I've been discussing each interview. And um, a lovely, lovely lady from Australia, Jennifer. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Jennifer. Where are you from and what um, inspired you to come on this camp? Well, what I'm, I, I'm living in Darwin at the moment and I work as an emergency nurse and um, I have been cycling on and off for quite a few years and dabbling in triathlons and have thought about doing an Ironman but just haven't got there yet and my husband has done them and um, he listens to the, your podcast mm. so he yeah we found out about Epic Camp and we thought oh let's go and let's do, do it. it let's go to France and here we are. Did you know what you were getting yourself in for? No not at all <laughs> absolutely no idea. It no. was great you're coming in blind. Totally. Um, what had Michael told you about it? Um Nothing. Nothing. Nothing just really. Just that, um, yeah, yeah. We didn't know that we were going to be doing, we're supposed to be doing, <laughs> three like a, a cycle and a run and um, a swim each day. Yeah. And we had no idea that we were going to be doing maybe a cycle that would last from six to ten hours. <laughs> <laughs> and I suppose we didn't realise the mountains that we were going to be climbing. Not many mountains in Darwin. There's no mountains in Darwin. Yeah. So I trained. On the uh, compu trainer, yeah. doing stuff with Fest. Yeah. So I had no idea what I was in for. But it was an amazing experience. Yeah. And push through and the mountains and and just the group of people mm. that um, that were here with us were just um, incredible and everyone sort of cheered each other on. And, and of course, you, John. No. Oh, you, um, yeah, we just got to climb amazing mountains and mm. got to stay in incredible places mm. yeah has it uh has it inspired you to do more or are you going holy shit these guys are nut jobs and uh i'm quite happy doing what i'm doing <laughs> i've kind of got mixed emotions about that i i i am very um inspired by yeah. you guys for what you did especially god yeah yesterday doing 10 but is it a hundred hundreds? Yeah. And then just all the other stuff that you've done before that. Um, um, I, yes, yes and no, yes. What about getting Michael through it? Because I, I felt, you know, you really feel for people on the camp. Yes. You got sick. Um, and a number of other people got sick on the camp. They had sickness coming in or they had injuries. And I know Michael was really fired up to do as well as he could, but he had a calf strain that he was bringing in. And it's, it's just frustrating. When you're doing this sort of volume and you blow something out, um, what did you do to try to get him through? Because he said, I know on one particular day, he said you really managed to say the right thing and, and get him through each day. 
maybe you don't even realise what no, you said. No, I did. I said to him, you're a physical trainer. You can do this. Yeah. You're a physical trainer in the Navy. Come on. Push it. You can finish this. You know, yeah. you've started it. Because I've always been sort of a person that once you start something, you've got to finish it. You either don't start it at all. Or once yeah. you start it, that's it. You've got to finish. You've got to push through. So, um, yeah, there was times when, you know, he was a bit down because he wasn't able to run. Yeah. But, you know, you can only you can only do what you can with what you've got at the time, and yeah, yeah he pushed through with everything else. So I was mm. very proud of him. And oh, he was, that's the thing, he was out there walking because he could not run. I know. And you can't if you can't run, you can't run. And uh, yet he still went out there and power walked it. He tried yeah. each different, you know, many different times. He tried to get back on the horse, give it a go, and we said just give it a go. We got some treatment, and uh, and he certainly kept trying. So it was not through lack of trying. No, so. and he loves it. Yeah, he loves it. He's like you. He loves it. <laughs> Love and Ironman. what's the plan now? Are you going home or are you going to no, a ticket tour? No, no, no. We're going to a ticket tour. We're going to go to Nice for a week. Then we're going to go to Bern to pick up the tour nice. for a few days. And then over to London and then to Wales to meet a friend of Michael's mm. that he met in Afghanistan. Nice. So, yeah, so it'll be really good. It'll be a nice end to our fabulous epic yeah, no, we, I certainly know that it's not easy training in Darwin. Uh, not that I've been there, but I see the stuff you guys do on the trainer. And, no, and it's not. And, uh, you know, um, the other girls on the, the camp were fantastic, and it was really, really good to have girls. Mm, you know, there was quite very a, different a few of us. There's like five yeah. girls. And, um, yeah, we, everyone pushed each other through and yeah. did what they can, could, and, yeah, it was awesome. Really no, good. I was impressed with your biking. It was uh, it was impressive. And, uh, Thank you. I look forward to seeing if you make the step over into triathlon further down the track. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see, definitely. Thank you very much. Thank you, John. Sponsor. Athlinks.com. Oh, good old Athlinks, John. People were checking each other out on Athlinks before the camp, and were they? how you can one of the ways you can do that, uh, or if, if you raced against other people, I suppose, is uh, the rivals feature is fantastic. So if you've got your local crew of athletes that you're up against, make sure you get them onto Athlinks, and then you can basically get you know everybody claims their results, and you can have your win loss record against everybody. So um, you know when I pull mine up, I got the old Philinator on there. I've got a 16 and one win loss record. Ooh. He where did he pass me? He passed me in Kona. That's right. So he's got his one victory over me in, in Kona, but it's really cool for, for when you've got uh, some guys where you do sort of duke it out a little bit more and you can kind of uh, brag a little bit or use it as motivation to get your win-loss record up. The cool thing is it basically breaks all those races in. You can just go, boom. Those are the times I've raced uh, the Philinator or, or Andrew Black or Agent Smackdown Warren Sutherland, someone like that, and you can say, those are... Just without having to trawl through about 10 million different websites, straight in front of you, race those guys that many times, that's where that's the, the record. Well, the other thing where it's really cool, like if you're in a region where has a big population, you know, like a big city like in Melbourne or places like that, where you have a big triathlon community, mm. you might race someone all the time and you know their face but you don't know them. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And you can kind of just try to go figure out and maybe see their number this weekend and then next time when you go check up athletes, you can kind of see who that person is. Yeah. You know, and so that way you can kind of get to know them out that front as well. So it's another way to kind of just kind of socially get to meet people as well. Rob Green, I've got a win-loss record of, of zero and one against Rob. I mean, he raced him once. Was it Kona, was it? Kona. Yeah. Same with BJ Christensen, Tim Perkin. You guys killed me. Dominating the dojo, Dominating the dojo. So check it out, athlinks.com. Get all your mates on there and uh, get your rivals all sorted and do some bragging. Okay, so now we've got Rob Wilby from teamoxygenaddict.com. And he's just basically, we just want to talk about Ironman UK. We're saying, what's happening for Ironman UK? And he, mm. he gives us a really good breakdown of the race for those Absolutely. who are racing this weekend, but for those who are thinking about doing it in the future as well. So here is Rob Wilby. 
Okay guys, um, we've got Rob Wilby here from Oxygen Addict. He's going to fill us in on Ironman UK. Earlier in the show I said we'd uh, go into a bit more detail with this race and that's something that I actually enjoy doing because you often have Bevan and I, you know, when it comes around to Challenge Wanaka and Ironman New Zealand time or Hawaii, you know, we know a lot about the races and, and wrote and stuff. But there's so many races we know very little about and, um, and so we're going to find out a bit more about Ironman UK and I think this will also be applicable to some of you other guys who are out there racing on similar sort of courses profiles around different parts of the world so welcome back to the show rob thanks very much john it's nice to be back mate so tell us a bit about um about ironman uk and sort of the you know the different challenges you face with that course and and how it's sort of set up etc yeah well it's it's unusual for the european races which have got a reputation for being sort of flat and fast in that it's it's definitely not flat and it's certainly not fast it's a it's a real honest um athletes race really there's lots of hills in it rough road surfaces um lots of stretches where you're out on the moors and you're in the wind and you're at the mercy of the elements so it's a it's a real good classic sort of northern hard man's and hard women's race it's got a real good reputation mm. it, it's um it, it seems like there's a little bit of a theme with with races in the uk you know you got ironman wales as well which is um which is a tough one and, and you've just been off doing another event and if people want to find out about that they can go to your uh, oxygenatic website and listen to your podcast about your experiences there um but yeah it seems like a bit of a theme that the uk races are your, your more sort of classic non-flat stuff yeah, well, I, th- I think it's just hard in this country to find that the kind of, you know, the kind of courses and the kind of local authorities that are willing to close off. You know, if you go to Rote or you go to Germany or Sweden or Austria, they seem to be quite happy to close down big sections of road that are that are really, you know, the kind of road you can get some decent speed up. But we just don't seem to have that with the triathlons in this country. But, you know, the flip side of that is that you come and race here and, you know, there's no going to be not going to be problems with big packs of drafting and everyone's going to have an honest result because there's a there's a hill every couple of hundred meters here that's going to break people up so you really do get that kind of everybody's racing by themselves and there's a nice camaraderie that comes with that as well i think with, with, with triathlon being you know it's, it's, at least from outside of the uk it seems like it's a pretty popular sport right now you, you guys are obviously very successful at the top end um and it seems like even at the bottom end there's a lot of kind of participation on the big scheme of things how, how successful is i'm in uk as a race i think it's getting upwards of 1500 entries okay in in, in terms of that i think the fact it's when it is in the in the time of year and the calendar means it's never traditionally attracted um, huge European names to come and race it, and it's not a big points or a big money race. But in terms of uh, the thing that makes it, I think, is in terms of the camaraderie of the competitors and the the spectators that come out and line the course. I mean, they've got these crazy lunatics who stand on the big hill dressed in fancy dress. <laughs> There's something like 500 members of a Facebook group called the Sheep House Hill Fancy supporters group or something so you've got these lunatics standing dressed as superheroes and wrestlers and you know they're up there at half past six in the morning so it it really is crazy there's a local triathlon club from Lancaster who who line one of the other hills with 
like literally dozens of members of their clubs dressed as I think bishops from a from a local <laughs> from a local church. I don't know what the, the connection is, but it's insane. It's got this really crazy supporters thing going on, and you've got people banging kettles together, and yeah, so it's a really well supported event. And um, and the run itself is is centered around Bolton Town Centre with a, a loop that goes out and back from there. And the crowds last year were they were as thick as the crowds at the London Marathon. You know, it was oh, three really? people. People. yeah it was crazy oh. man yeah. so for that that section where there's like a mile where it goes in and out and out and back and out and back the organizers have done a really good job of meaning that spectators see their athletes at three or four points on these little sort of out and backs through the streets um similar to how tembia's in wales and so yeah so it's a really great atmosphere it feels like a real big event there now and i'm sure the athletes love that because you know there's nothing like working through the crowd yeah, definitely, man. It's great. So there's a few challenges with this race, so it's um, it's a bit of a point-to-point race. Yeah, so we thought we'd, we'd basically talk through some some tips. I live about six miles away from the course, and I've ridden it about a dozen times. And a lot of the guys I coach and train with have been on the course as well. So, so we know the course pretty well, and we thought we might help a few people out in the the run up to race week by giving them some tips. So, as you said, the, the first thing with Bolton is it's a split transition. You've got um, the swim taking part in Pennington Flash, which is about 20 kilometers away from from the main loop of the bike course and from Bolton Town Centre itself. So that's the first thing about it really is um, getting down to the race start on race day. The organizers do a great job of organizing buses that leave from um, the Macron Stadium, which is the big football stadium that Bolton Wanderers play in. Um, and the buses run from there from like half past four in the morning. But it's something people have got to kind of be aware of and switched on about. You've got to get yourself there early and there will be hundreds of people queuing up for these buses going backwards and forwards. So get yourself there early so you can get yourself down to the, the swim start in plenty of time. Because it seems, you know, there's a lot of races in the UK like this with split transitions. And with the best will of the world of the organisers, it always ends up being a bit stressful for the people who are on the last bus to the transition, <laughs> you know. So get yourself there early for that. The the swim at Pennington Flash itself, it's a nice location. It's got a, um, a golf course on one side and it feels very rural. Um, water temperature is probably 18 and a half, 19 degrees C. So it isn't freezing cold and it isn't one of those boiling hot, you're in danger of having a non-wetsuit swim type events. Mm. Water quality isn't bad. The visibility is okay in it. Um, and I think the thing to be aware of is just to get there early enough so you can get an idea of the layout of the swim course, pick an object on the shore behind where the boys are and aim for those because all these big events are the same. There's going to be a lot of people in the water and you need to be really sure where you're swimming for. Mm. Um, and it's a rolling start at the swim? Yeah, rolling start. So again, we've, we've had some interesting episodes this year where people who are at the slower end of the field who have got into the water sort of later on because they're slower swimmers and have ended up missing the cutoff. Oh, wow. what we've, yeah, so what we've seen happening is the organisers are getting people into the water fastest swimmers first, which obviously makes sense from that point of view. Um, it might be an idea for the, the guys who are really afraid they're going to be missing the overall 17-hour cutoff and they're also slower swimmers. Maybe slot yourself at a pen or two in front of where you should really be, I think. But that's just for the people who are really afraid they're going to be missing the cutoff. Otherwise, it seems like these rolling starts are working really well. Mm. And, you know, if, if you get yourself in the right pen, you're going to be with people who are the same sort of speed as you. You get a nice toe and you don't get swum over. Mm. So it's uh, it seems to be playing out pretty well. 
Yeah, no, it does. I mean, uh, I get a lot of feedback like that as well. It, it plays out well for the swim. The big downside is you don't really know exactly where you are on the course, but in terms of enjoyment levels on the swim, people seem to love it, and it does seem to um, help a little bit uh, on the bike as well. So you move, moving on to the bike, you kind of... In, um, we were talking before, it's a, it's a pretty pretty rolling course. Um, sort of maybe breaking yeah. into sections and stuff like that. What's the, what's the deal? Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty honest course. Well, you've got a you've got a twenty odd kilometer stretch that takes you up to the main loop, and that's actually quite a fast stretch of road. Um, so you get twenty k's of sort of time trialing to go, and there's some draggy hills in that bit, but nothing too painful. And then you get yourself to the main loop which is uh, you enter over the, the Rivington Reservoir and, and hit Sheep House Lane is the main climb. Now, that's about three and a half, four K long. And the stats say it averages at about 5% out. But having ridden it a few times, there's a section three quarters of the way up that's definitely steeper than that, no matter what mm. the stats are telling us. So, um, so it's real kind of out of the saddle, get yourself up this. There's a kind of 90-degree hairpin bend towards the top, and it gets really steep up there. That's where all the lunatics in fancy dress mm. are going to be cheering people on. Um, so in terms of gearing for people, I mean, it's a bit late in the day for people to be swapping now, but we advise, like, you know, you're going to need a compact and a 28 for the majority mm. of the riders on this course. I'd say the stronger riders are going to be all right on a standard crank set with a 28 on the back mm -hmm. but the more gears you've got the more you're going to be able to save your legs for the run so if you get a headwind on that section it's going to be it's going to be pretty unpleasant at the best of times mm -hmm. so um and do traditionally so that, do the winds pick up or is it was yeah it, it tends to pick up during the day the, the forecast at the moment we're still four or five days out or so but the forecast for it to be southerly winds and so it's actually going to be quite friendly for the climbs in that yeah. direction you're going to get blown up them so that's not too bad but if the wind swings around to the west later on in the day it's the section over the top of there where you're really going to be into the teeth of the wind and going across the moor so that it's kind of an unpleasant ride for, for 10Ks or so. You've really just got to hunker down and, and grit your teeth. Um, over the top of Sheep House Lane, you've got a, a nice fast descent with a couple of really sharp corners on. So that's one for people to watch out for if they don't know the course. There's a 90 degree left just before the little reservoir at the bottom. And again, as they come into Belmont Village, there's another 90 degree left, which if they've watched any of the TV shows, they'll see. It's really easy to end up on the wrong side of the road there. And the pros who are, are really racing someone ends up overcooking it every year there so so take it easy on that section and then from that section you, you've got some fast roads again you've got a section that goes all the way north up to the motorway to wheelton which is is good fast time trialing roads you've then got a large chunk of the section where you head over west which is lots of sharp corners 90 degree bends you've got to slow down a lot and break a lot and so there just isn't a lot of free speed there really the road surfaces aren't great a lot of the roads have been resurfaced recently as well so we've got that classic new zealand chip seal road <laughs> going on again now up here so you guys know all about that yeah there's no free speed on the course um we turn south we head down and there's there's some nice roads on the southerly aspect down from Croston. Again, a good bit of time trialing section until you reach Hunter's Hill. And that's really the second big hill on the course. We've got maybe 2K of climbing there. Again, it averages at 5%, but there's a section towards the top of maybe two or 300 meters that really kicks up steep again. We're probably getting to 10% of the climb there. So again, get in your lowest gear, out of the saddle, take it easy, control the power, and save your legs for the run mm -hmm. and then really it's twisty turny country lanes back to the start of that loop and you complete that loop a second time 
So two, two. So it's a, a little section of the start, and a two-loop bike course. Yeah, basically it's like a misshapen lollipop. We've got twenty k's to the loop, two loops, and then maybe a five k stretch to take the athletes back down to the Macron Stadium where T two is and the start of the run. Yeah, cool. And uh, so to talk us through the run. Okay, so so the run again is a. It's got a, the finish line is in Bolton Centre and the start line is at the stadium, so it's probably ten kilometres apart. So we've got about a five k section to run to the main loop itself, and then the main section of the loop is kind of an out and back into Bolton Town Centre. So the five sec five k section to get to the loop itself is is mostly rolling and then a flat section along the canal, so that athletes will get some good speed along that section along the canal. And then from the point where they get onto the main loop, we've got three and a half loops of an out and back, if you like, because they end up in Bolton Town Centre. And there really isn't much of a flat section at all on the whole of this run course. Mm. Now, none of it's particularly steep, but we're talking 80 to 100 metres of ascent on each one of these three loops. So overall, the, the course that looks flat to the naked eye, or it looks flat when you're driving it, it's got about a thousand feet of climbing in it or 350 meters of climbing in it. So it really is worth it. The athletes sitting down and thinking about this, you know, I've got a long two mile uphill section just very gradually and then over the top and then a downhill and then back up and over the top and another downhill section again before we've got the flat section in Bolton town center with the ins and outs around the streets and the shops. It sounds like a brilliant course. I mean, um, <clears throat> And I think the fact that you said you know there's around about 1,500 people entered or so is is a good thing as well. I was talking to an athlete that I coached yesterday, and he went and did uh, I mean Frankfurt. He said it was an absolutely fantastic event, um, very very well organised. Really enjoyed it. Um, but when he was riding along, he said you know it was a line of athletes the whole way around. And um, if you want, yeah. if, if you're happy with that experience, you just got to kind of know what you want you what mm. you're getting yourself in for. But if you want a race where it's going to be a bit more of a challenge. It's not you against the clock. It's you against the course conditions, and you're going to have a much, much more of a fair race. This, this sounds like um, a good place to be. It's one of those races where if you qualify at Bolton, then you know you've qualified off your own back. There's mm. nobody sat in a pack of 10 people for the whole bike and kind of shrugged the shoulders and gone, well, you know, everyone's drafting and there's nothing we can do about it. Mm. It's a real honest bike course, and it and attracts athletes that, you know, like courses like that. Um, we've got Lucy racing, for example, in the, mm -hmm. in the female pros race, you know, she's, she's an absolute legend and she just loves the tough gritty course and she loves smashing herself on the bike. And, you know, if you see photos of Lucy Gossage in the finish line last year, at the, she was jumping up and down like a lunatic mm -hmm. and it attracts athletes of that standard. So, um, I'm really excited. The pro race this year has actually got Michael Raylert lined mm -hmm. up for it as well. Yeah, so. He's obviously chasing some Kona points, and um, I know he's been struggling with injuries, but it's it's going to be great to see him line up with you know Fraser Cartmel, Roman Guillaume, um, Richie Nichols is on the start list, and Harry Wiltshire. So we, we've got a real sort of quality profile lined up on the men's side. And again, with the women, you've got Lucy Gossage, the defending champion, but you've also got Tina Deckers and Kristen Muller. Yeah. Kristen Muller ran like a... God, I can't remember now, but she ran a lightning-fast marathon when she did it a few years ago. It was like a a low 250s I think from memory yeah. it's one of the fastest runs of the day so that could be a really good race with her against Lucy Gossage yeah her predicted time on uh, tryracing.com is to run a 256 so she's predicted to come in in third place but yeah well in 2011 she ran a 241 
Crikey, Dak. There you go, yeah. 241. How did she do that? That's 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 only 10 seconds faster than, slower than the fastest male. Record, record we're talking about here. It's a little bit short that year, but even so, like you said, it was a legit run. I was standing on the roadside and she was running by and she looked like she was in a 10K. You know, she looked like she was running six minute miles. Well, Aaron Farlow Farlow has the record for the men, and so he's in a 241.46, and she's got the record for the female, 241.57. So she's only 11 seconds off the male record for that course. To give you guys guys an idea on um, the winning times from last year, we had David McNamee come in 8.46, Fraser Cartmel second, 8.51, and Joe. Skipper in 8.55 and then Lucy Gossage did 9.31 so um, yeah not the fastest course in the world but a good good honest test so um, Rob what about Oxygen Addict you know what have you guys got going on at the moment yeah, I know you were, you were doing some um, some webinars recently have you got anything else going on or anything that you want to sort of share the love with in terms of uh, people who are maybe looking at getting a bit of coaching yeah, that'd be great, man. Thanks. Well, we've just had our, our last webinar that we aimed at people who are who are sort of lining up for their big A race of the year, and that was basically how to do your best race on race day. So if you want to go and check out a replay of that, you can go to team.oxygenaddict.com forward slash race day, and uh, you can watch a replay of that webinar. So we basically cover loads of strategies that we've come across to help people get the best out of themselves and you know after they've done all this hard work what we don't want is people blowing themselves to bits on the first 20k of the bike leg so uh so it's some strategies for swim bike and run to really ensure that you get the best performance out of yourself that you can so yeah if anyone wants to go and check that out that'd be great and uh, we'd love to hear from any of the listeners thanks man and just one final thing you uh, it sounds like you're going to be spectating at the weekend any tips for spectators um that might be out there you know if people are racing they can tell their families you know the best strategies for uh for seeing them the most on the day you talked a little bit about the run but any other tips yeah so two top top places to go on the bike are going to be hunters hill and sheep house lane you can you know, it's pretty good access actually to all these places. You can drive to within a couple of hundred yards, even with the road closures, and get yourself there if you're smart with looking at which roads are closed. So they're the places to watch the bike go by. And then on the run, the place to go is either going to be Bolton Town Centre or there's a pub at the top of the hill on Chorley New Road, which is just at the junction. <laughs> yeah, you'll love this. Just at the junction of where the, the first 5K of the run joins the loop. So you can see the athletes coming onto the loop and you can also see the athletes running all the way up the the long drag from the town centre. This pub puts on, you know, it's got like a hog roast outside and they've got great big tents set up and music playing. And I reckon we must have had 400 people supporting there at our spot on the top of the hill last year. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. totally is, man. So uh, so I'll be there shouting at people. So uh, if you, you want to shout out, say, I'm an Ironman Talk listener, and I'll give you a shout. Awesome, <laughs> man. Okay, well, you have a good weekend up there. And, guys, if you want to check out uh, Rob and, and all the stuff that they offer, go to team.oxygenaddict.com, and uh, we'll catch up with you, Rob, in maybe a few weeks' time, and, um, yeah, maybe give us a bit of a lowdown on how it all went. Great stuff. Thanks very much, boys. Love your work, mate. Jumbo, we are back. I'm in UK. Good luck to all the people racing this weekend. Jumbo, we're not doing questions and answers because it's already a pretty long show. So we'll do those next week because we've got a couple of funny ones coming through. Cool. But more importantly, Jumbo, the patrons. A couple of new patrons. We've got James, the Red Rocket, Thomas. Why the Red Rocket? We must have given that to him a while ago. And uh, James lives in Vancouver. Jeez, I love that you remember that. Welsh guy, because I met James. He came along and uh, saw me when I had a swim one day down at the big 137-metre pool in Vancouver. Oh, did you? And he's Welsh, but he lives in, in, in 
Canada and he always wears his Welsh kit. So I've put a picture of him up on nice. the, the, the red, the, yeah, yeah. the I'm Talk page. Let's not talk about the rugby with those guys. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> so the Red Rocket. Now I need help. With, as you heard earlier in the show, Ben Moore, bloody interview, didn't get it all, but he was he was a gold athlete. So you're going to help me with this this here. So he came and, and this comes out. I, I don't know if this part came out in the interview. He was probably the second fastest on paper on the camp, but he was very conservative and very disciplined. He had uh, Alan Cousins as his coach oh, yeah, from yeah, Endurance yeah. Corner, yeah. and Ben was very disciplined. So he, he wasn't getting caught up in the plan. game. He was no. like, I'm going to train hard, but I'm sticking to the plan. He just did did his training, stayed in his zones, and uh, in some of the races he went for it, but most of the time he was nice and conservative and stuck to his plan, got the volume in. He was going to be racing Ironman Wales, and so just wanted to use it as a, as a, as a training camp rather than a go nuts and go deep camp. So he, his history is he's sort of a bio, biomechanics. So yep. he, he, he was a kicking coach at the the Sydney Swans team. Yeah. Uh, he's sort of quite conservative with his training, but he's deceptively fast, you know, been close to nine hours, like nine hours and a handful of seconds. Yep. And I did ask that question. I don't think that came through. It did rip his undies when he didn't quite make yeah. the nine hours. Yeah, it was I like nine feeling. hours and a handful yeah. of seconds. And what else? He's a pom. He's got a young child. But I thought the main angle we want to go with is quite disciplined or something like that. Yeah, but what do you do with that, John? Because mm. I thought of Popeye. And you know why I thought of Popeye? Why? Olive oil. Because olive oil is Popeye's partner, no, isn't it's it? No, it's spinach. No, but olive oil is his oh. partner. Oh, I don't it? know about that. Yeah, no I'm pretty idea. sure it is. And so then I thought, well, Popeye, because of olive oil, because he puts olive oil into his drink. Okay. Yeah? But I could be wrong on that. Let, let me look at that. You, okay. You, and what are you thinking? I get what you're saying, but yes. I'm not quite sure. Of well, if that is the case, I like the, the olive oil angle was quite unique. I mean, put olive oil in with his infinite and drinks it and and was able to make that palatable, which just seemed crazy to me. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Okay, we got Popeye. Popeye. <laughs> Popeye it is. Popeye. There you go. Popeye, Ben Moore. Right, Bevan, remember all you people out there, I am Talk Gear, cutoff date is, uh, I think we can put down about the 20th of July, so get your orders in and be looking sharp. I never really thought that Popeye's name was Popeye because he had a popped eye. Right. <laughs> I've just really discovered that right now. Right. <laughs> That's pretty sad when, yeah. when you kind of think about it. But, but yeah, so it's olive oil. Olive oil. Olive oil. O Y L? Olive oil? Don't know. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll there you go. Popeye. Yeah, Popeye. That's it. There we go. There we go. John, okay. So sponsors. Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Team Oxygen Addict. Get some coaching. And our patron, You guys are absolutely rocking. If you want to become a patron, go dub dub dub. I am talk top me. It's all very clear. John, what's your goss? It's been a while. Go, give me some good goss. It's been a while. i just got to get back into a groove and just got to try not to eat too much this week. That was one of my big points that I was trying to slam home with the guys um, post-camp is work on your flexibility, keep ticking over, and try not to eat too much. But my God, it's a challenge. What happens for you as an athlete now? Because this year was very much about this moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you always like to have a goal. Mm. Um May, maybe do I'm thinking about doing Challenge Wanaka half oh, maybe nice. but uh, just a bit of downtime for the next period no not really I'll keep going <laughs> well, you gave me an email saying I'm not going to be training as hard on Tuesday mornings won't, won't be training as hard but I'll, uh, I'll st- I want to just do a bit of maintenance work for do a while do you kind of think oh maybe pop over into a race next month somewhere because I'm fit no I, I like being married uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, oh, like I like being married, being married. so <laughs> so no no great plans but I think that I'll do Challenge Wanaka <laughs> half and then possibly doing rote. Challenge on a half. It's pretty hard to win that thing. Do you think you'd be up to that level? Probably not. 
no. But I was quietly impressed with some of the stuff that I did on the camp. The, with the fitness that I had, I think if I can just maintain it, improve. Oh yeah, yeah, body held up real good. Yeah. Uh, just need to keep working on that bike. That's my big weakness: the bike. Mm. Other than that, it's just a case of getting back on top of work and uh, looking after those kiddies. School holidays, straight into it. That is too. What about you, yeah. Bevan? Anything exciting happening? In well, your when world? I was in Thailand, John, one of the real advantages of being in a place like that is massages are very cheap. Yes. First day we arrived in, we, we stayed, we stayed in a place called, I can't remember what it was called, John. Chiang Mai, Chiang Mai, Koh Samui. Yeah, and we arrived and we couldn't get to a hotel for a couple of hours, so we went down to this place and we got this massage and there's a window, size of that window there. Mm. Great podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. That's where <laughs> we see the view each week, John. But, um, Honestly, paradise. You're basically looking outside this window. You've got massage tables looking outside this window. And you're just thinking, oh, yeah, mm. we're definitely in the right place. So a pretty good trip. Got lots of massages. Now, yeah. what happens when you get couples massages? Have you ever done couples massages, John? No. Okay, well, no, no. What happens is you go into a room and they have two beds next to each other and you mm. both kind of head down and away you go. So Joe and I were getting couples. Now, one day, Joe didn't want to get a massage. Mm. So I went to, because Joe likes a cleaner place. I don't give a shit. Yeah. So Joe wants to go to places. So we were paying, paying me $20 each massage, which is still stupidly cheap, mm. but you're going somewhere pretty classy. The day, well, day I was going to go by myself, John. I'm, oh, well, I must have some money. Place across the road, maybe ten bucks yeah. for an hour. Yeah, not as clean, but oh, it's a bit. So I get my message, John. Then at the end, I got offered something. Really? <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I'm getting this message, and and I've got to be honest, team. She was definitely trying to work the angle, if you know what I mean, when I'm getting the message, and I'm and I'm going, oh God, what's happening here? And uh, and then at the end, she just goes, Ah, uh, you want? And she did a hand gesture. <laughs> Nice. So, so I'm thinking, oh, okay, and and, she, and, I, and I said, oh, oh, and she offered me a price, and and hey, she offered it. It was always paying that much. <laughs> <laughs> I think she wanted like eighty dollars New Zealand, and I'm like, I'm like, oh no, no, I'm okay, I'm okay, and I'm, and I, I didn't know what to do. I was a bit shocked and dismayed. Yeah, and so um, and then she lowered her price, oh. <laughs> but I didn't go ahead with it, John, because I'm the man of ethics and all the rest of it, but. There yeah. you go. So I went through the Here experience and went offered the happy ending. Yeah. There we go. Oh. I got offered the happy ending. Instead, you got the sad ending. Uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> un- un- ending. Well, the thing was, even if I wanted to, I didn't have enough money because Joe gave me, I can't remember how much she gave me, but because she, she looks after the money we were on holidays, and so she gave me so much cash for it. And uh, Joe goes to me, <laughs> Joe goes to me afterwards, have you had more money? We wonder if it would have been a different thing. And I was like, babe, I'm a good man. I wouldn't have done it. That's but. not the game we can play. <laughs> no, <laughs> I think we'll save the game until next week. Yes. It's a good game, but we're going long. So, so that was definitely an interesting aspect from my holiday, John. Fantastic. An interesting aspect of my holiday. Anything happening this week? School holidays. School holidays. Soccer, soccer, soccer. That's it. Okay, soccer. What was it like camp or something? Yeah, Tommy's doing a, a sort of half day each day. Oh, nice. Mm. Hey, I'm Russ. I'm Indo. Train hard. Train smart. Kicker. Kicker.